football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Beyond comprehension. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Sam Monson playing host today because Steve and his giant afro have <laughs> departed the building. Steve's on vacation with the fam, so we've drafted in Austin Gale. We, he was forced out of the city. Oh, it yeah, had to yeah, yeah, that afro was, I, I was talking to you before we started recording. I can't get over the color of it. I, it's indescribable. It's like a <laughs> touch of gray, a touch of brown. A the, touch the of gray like, what was the hell making is it. going on? The, the, the gray was good. What was also great is because he's like, their hairline is receding, yeah, yeah. which he fights, right? D- claims Absolutely it isn't. Absolutely fights. The hairline is receding. But it, it, so it means it's going like under the fro. Right? The I could fro not is, believe it's like, coming. Is it out. Bob Ross? Is it some other? It was the most unique afro. I know you can't modify unique, but still, yeah. it was such a unique afro. I've never seen anything like it. Bob Ross was getting the most comments. It, it's a very good comment. Back. A, it really was. It's, a, but it's like if Bob Ross somehow aged like twenty more years. The other thing that's amazing <laughs> is like so. Steve is somewhere between six foot eight and six foot ten, right? Listed, well aware. <laughs> listed six ten allegedly closer to six eight when you actually you know measure them mm-hmm. as a doctor once did um so anyway somewhere in that range and you kind of get used to it after a while right it's just like there's steve he's a large human being but you know we, we're, we're we accepted it now when he grows out the fro he becomes like seven foot four it's like okay now he's just a huge person it, it was wild it, it was just it, it's just the most I, I just couldn't believe what he looked like. It is incredible. Anyway. I mean, and we thought the Jerry curl was like unique. Like right. this afro made him look like a legit cartoon. <laughs> it was fucking insane. We we have to give a huge thank you to everyone that donated oh, to allow that to happen. Not only did we get the comedy, but we raised eleven hundred and eighty dollars, I think, just from people donating. Steve uh, is matching that to the charity, wow. so we've raised like two and a half grand for That's that awesome. charity. In addition to getting the hilarious comedy of Steve and Win-win. the afro, I think we should do something like that semi-regularly for this podcast like decide on what the like the forfeit is going to be obviously it can't be fro every time you know maybe you could shave into a stash yeah right maybe i've got to do something with the facial hair this time decide on a charity you know hit a target and then as soon as we hit the target we do the thing and reset and and go again so let us know what you think what we should do what what we will we'll fire up something like that um austin is is co-host of the two for one podcast with mike renner um what do we get in Austin with the two for one podcast? As far as I can tell, it's mostly dating stories and, and venereal disease <laughs> debates. So yeah, the two for one drafts podcast. We obviously cover rookies and draft prospects mostly. Like you, oh, you do that as well. Yeah, as we do that as well. We do that as well. So we're covering a lot of the draft prospects. The draft is like our high tide, where everyone you know everyone's coming to two for one drafts, mock drafts, all that type of stuff. We just did a 2022 mock draft wow. a little early, a little early. We just did a 2022 mock That's draft, but at the start DJ. of the podcast. You'll get a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, inside look at some of me and Mike's uh, best stories we've got. We hang out a decent amount outside of work, so we, we've collected some stories for sure. In case you haven't you haven't been able to tell so far, if you're one of those people that listens to a podcast on like 1.5 <laughs> speed, 
you are just shit out of luck today because Austin is the fastest talking human being in the world. And it's funny because like a lot of people when they start off doing podcasts and stuff like that, that's what they do, right? Mm -hmm. People talk fast, really fast. And once they get more comfortable, once they get into it more, they slow down, they get into it. You don't, you just stay at that level all the time, 24 <laughs> seven, whether you're on camera, on mic, whatever, you just speak faster than normal people. It never turns off. It really never turns off. Right. So on the Two Point Drafts podcast as well, we also do smelling salts before every <laughs> podcast. So that probably plays into it as well. Well, but yeah, we, you, you also, you play into this, A, you talk really fastly to begin with. You're also the most highly caffeinated person I've ever come across. Plus, you dive into the smelling salts. It's during, <laughs> during, during the draft coverage, you were like chain drinking Red Bulls in addition to the like you, you have way too many stimulants in your system. Is what I, I'm I treat my heart like a baseball mitt in some ways. You I know, see. I just kind of let just just keep getting hit, you know, a little bit. I think eventually I'll slow down in my forties, fifties. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, like <laughs> through enforced medical problems. Yeah, I think or, so. <laughs> when, you, when your heart just explodes exactly. and you're forced to take it, you know, when the when they, the doctors you know, after like a mild heart attack, they go, "This was nature's warning." Right. This was nature's way of telling you that your lifestyle is too fast and too, you need to cut down on the cigarettes and the drinking and the Red Bulls and the, the caffeine and the smelling salts and, and everything <laughs> the else. The doctor you telling do. you you need to stop doing smelling salts would be a tough scene for me. That would be hard. <laughs> to, that'd be tough. You could handle the drink and the caffeine. But I, look, Doc, leave me the smelling salts. I need <laughs> I need one thing left. Whew. Okay, um, so when we left Steve to his own devices, when I was away, mm -hmm. Steve took it upon himself without my negative influence to do reasons for optimism for all 32 NFL teams. Wow. Like the reason your team is in a good place right now, and frankly, that's a tough sell for some teams in the NFL. Absolutely. We'll get to them during the course of this podcast because this podcast is going to be 32 reasons for negativity, 32 reasons your team is not going to win the Super Bowl and frankly, that's more fun. Mm -hmm. So my negative influence is going to bring that. You're going to help me along. But one of the things I wanted to do is to pull out a little uh, video clip right now that sort of sums up my feelings on the subject. It shouldn't all be positive. So Mike, hit the clip. Yes, Tea Master really takes the misery out of making tea. Well, what do you think? Maybe I like the misery. There you go. Anytime you can fit in a Father Ted reference to a podcast, it's always I a don't win. know what that was. You have no idea what Father <laughs> Ted is. And, well, not that many of our listeners will, but we have like 14% of our listenership is from Ireland. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Is that like an Irish show? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So, well, it was, a, it was a British comedy show that was set in Ireland made by Irish people. So, sort of, like, yes and no. Gotcha. Um, but for at least 14% of our people understand that plus whatever the amount we get it from the uk like that's a pretty good subset as well so you know a decent chunk of our people understand that reference the rest of them have no freaking idea of what we just did but <laughs> i'm willing to roll with it anyway um all right reasons for negativity we're going to start in the afc you set the order because you did some prep work to this i did um so we're going to start off with the afc east and you want to go alphabetically is that how you've done it from there i did go alphabetically i think okay so we got what <laughs> buffalo bills I do, I do i do okay Reason for negativity for the Buffalo Bills. What do you got? This one's going to be tough because I know I'm going to have Bills Mafia yeah, yeah, yeah. at my neck uh -huh. here. But it, it is the obvious reason for negativity. It's Josh Allen's regression. We don't, oh. know, we don't know how much he'll regress, wow. but it's very unlikely from a mathematical perspective that he produces a similar, if not similar or better season in 2021. However... I'm not convinced that he regresses significantly. I don't think it's going to be, oh, wow, the Josh Allen of old is here. Like, that's not what's yeah. going to happen. But if he does regress slightly, 
Right now, according to PFF's power rankings that came out today on PFF.com, they are the number three team in the NFL, right behind the Chiefs and Bucks, the two Super Bowl favorites. We like the Buffalo Bills. However, Josh Allen regresses even slightly, like earns a grade in the eight, between 80 and 85, isn't this MVP caliber quarterback. That's not enough. You know, that's not enough to beat the Chiefs. That's not enough to beat the Bucs. That's the reason for pessimism. If you want to win a Super Bowl, they're the number three team in the NFL, according to PFF. But if you want to win a Super Bowl, you need to be Josh Allen. Josh Allen needs to be as good as he was last year, if not better. And that's that, looking at the numbers, that's very difficult to expect. You So antagonizing Bill's Mafia is one thing, right? I know, but I know. The one way you can't antagonize him was Josh Allen. <laughs> you, like, we've already made that mistake many times in the past. You know, I've signed the apology form. Steve, I think, still refuses to sign that thing. Though Ariel Helwani did get him to apologize. Really? On the air, yeah. That he's was an intimidating impressive. guy, though. Ariel? Yeah. Well, not only – so he's also, like, you know, a, like a 10-time straight award-winning journalist of the year. Like, that's what an award-winning journalist of the year can do, right? True. You just keep hammering until Steve caves Very live fair. on the air. If that was me or you, we would have just, like, given up and <laughs> moved on. Um, yeah, so Josh Allen last year had a, a grade above 90 – one of seven quarterbacks in the NFL to grade above 90. If I mean, he could take a step back and still have that, you know, 85 kind of grade, put him in the, the Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan area. You hate that area. Right, <laughs> which is still good. Like, but it's, in, it's now of, well, okay, this is a good quarterback, but one that isn't, like, capable of raising everything on his own. Like, that, it's, it's sort of the definition of Kirk Cousins, right? He's, he's actually a good quarterback, mm -hmm. but not good enough to like raise everything around Absolutely. it. Like if the defense isn't good or the receivers aren't playing well or the offensive line isn't great, Kirk Cousins isn't winning anything for you. And that's the issue. The I number do, that I honestly see probably resting the most, maybe not even his grade, is the number of big time throws. Like he had 17 big time throws in 2018, 15 big time throws in 2019, and then 45 in 2020. <laughs> like that's like, he literally like four times the big time throw or three times the big time throws as he had in 2019. Like that number will regress. I'm going to count yeah, on it right now. But a lot of that was just volume, right? Like his rate was high, but it wasn't insane. Double. Like actually, it was double. No, 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 it was double. But like when you look at where it is versus other elite quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tom Brady or so Aaron Rodgers had a big time throw rate of 7.7%. Mm -hmm. Watson was at 7.4. Mahomes, 7.4. Russell Wilson, 7.3. Brady just behind at 6.9. So all those guys are round seven. Allen was down at 5.8, which is 11th in the NFL. Yeah. A little bit higher if you strip out guys like Mike Glennon. Um, <laughs> but, like, that, I mean, it's high but not insane. You know what I mean? There's, mm -hmm. like, that's actually a number that I don't necessarily think goes down because I think it, was, it went up as far as it did just based off volume. Like, volume. And also the fact that he figured out how to hit a deep ball. Like, True. one of the biggest problems before was Allen's actually playing quite well. It's just that he's the worst deep passer in the NFL. And whether you think that was Stephon Diggs coming on board or, or whatever it was, like Allen figured out how to hit the deep ball last year. And if that doesn't disappear overnight again, I think his big-time throw rate probably stays the same. Um, I actually don't think Allen is the biggest Oh, wow. Reason. I think their secondary could be, um, particularly like cornerback. It's, it's not that it's bad on paper. It's that you can see the potential for it like unraveling. You know what I mean? Like Tredavious White... I think it's a very good corner, but cornerback just by its nature is volatile. It comes and goes. You can have elite seasons followed by not great seasons. Um, we've been talking about Levi Wallace being this corner that every year they're going to try and take that guy's job away. Like he's good enough to start, but then not good enough that you're happy with him starting. So every year they're going to bring in someone to try and take his job. They didn't really this year, and, and that in and of itself is an issue. 
So like all of a sudden you can imagine where even if it's, I mean, even, even if they're all healthy, you can see a world where that cornerback group is a weakness. And if Tredavious White goes down, like suddenly it's like, who are our starting corners and what are they doing for us? Yeah, that's fair. I do think that, you know, the secondary, but Dable, I mean, not Dable, uh, McDermott does such a good job of kind of disguising yeah, no, that, true. you know, like he doesn't need, he's one of those defense coordinators or defensive minds that doesn't necessarily need his cornerbacks to be all-stars. And that's, I mean, he has Tredavis White, who's also very good, a top 10 cornerback in the NFL, but like he can get away with a Levi Wallace. He can get away with a Josh Norman, you know, late in his career. And I think a large part of that is because of the scheme they run there. So I do think that, again, it all comes back to the quarterback position. I think you're going to see a common theme in my reasons for pessimism. A lot of it ties back to right. how good is your quarterback? I mean, that's the entire NFL in a lot of ways. So I do think that Josh Allen regression is probably the biggest one for me, but secondary is a part of it as well. I just don't think if that offense hums and, and Josh Allen is as good, he doesn't even have to be better, as good as he was last year. I mean, they are very competitive. Yeah. And it, with the Chiefs team that when we get to their reason for pessimism, I would say is arguably worse. Like their reason for pessimism is more severe than the Bills. The problem is, is that, it, we'll see how likely it is because Mahomes makes up a lot of reasons yeah. for pessimism. Yeah, like you okay. can have you can have concerns on you know ten different areas of right. your football team, but you have Mahomes. There are several teams in the NFL that have a better roster, top to bottom, than the Chiefs. One thousand percent have Patrick Mahomes. Exactly. Um, so that's a neat way into Miami Dolphins because their reason for pessimism has got to be what if Tua doesn't get better? Exactly. My reason for pessimism is Tua's progression. Like if Tua does not progress forward, it's going to be. Not only concerning for 2021, but concerning for what they do, because this is still going to be a very competitive football team. Their defense is awesome. Brian Flores is awesome. They are in the running for seven to nine wins next year. And a 17-game season, maybe go eight to ten. Even if Tua plays as well as he did last year, and then you're going to be caught in quarterback purgatory, looking to improve on Tua Tungavailoa, but not necessarily having the horses to do so, you need Tua to have success. And they've done some good things to put him in a position to succeed. Adding Will Fuller, obviously. Adding Jalen Waddell, who I like, I think, a little bit more than you do. But I do think that the receiving core has improved. You should see some positive development from that offensive line, even though we didn't love all the prospects they did have. Going back to the 2 for one Drafts podcast, they drafted a ton of them. You know, mm. Austin Jackson, Solomon Kinley, Robert Hunt, Michael Dieter, these guys that in year one, year two, you expect to not be that good. But right. if they can progress and just see that natural development you usually see from younger offensive linemen, that should take a step forward. It's not a situation like Drew Locke's last year where there were no excuses, but yeah. is there are it's less excuses. There. Yeah, there right. are less excuses in Miami now. Yeah, they, they've done a really good job of, okay, we think we have a quarterback. Let's build around him. I would have, you know, you'd like to have seen them, I think, still keep swinging at the offensive line just oh, until you sure. know. Like, I know you're right. They threw a lot of young resources at it last year. And you would expect those guys to develop and get better, but you don't know that they will. And until you know that, you should probably keep adding offensive linemen until you're, you're guaranteed of those guys. Um, so the offensive line could could be an issue still. I, I think they've done a really good job with the receiving core, but it, it just it all comes down to Tua. And I, you know, I don't think there were people writing him off after last year, right? Which I think is massively premature. Like Tua was coming off that devastating hip injury. And not all quarterbacks hit the ground running in the NFL anyway. And I've speculated before that, look, it, it sounds ridiculous, but one of the toughest transitions to the NFL these days, I think, is coming from Alabama because those guys are throwing to the most wide-open college wide receivers every single week, right? You look up, and there's not a guy within five yards of Jerry Judy. So you just throw him the ball. Easy, right? Now you're in the NFL. That doesn't happen anymore. Even Jerry Judy is covered in the NFL. Like, yeah. you don't – you have to completely rewire the way you're reading defense. Well, that offensive line is like all first-round picks. Right, that too. But, like, it's just – it's the easiest 
it's the easiest environment in the world in terms of like just reading a defense because you're never bothered in the pocket. Your receivers are wide the hell open every single play. And you have to completely change that every single time you drop back in the NFL. So, of course, it's going to take longer. Like, Justin Herbert was used to having nobody open and right, pass rushers bearing down on him every week, right? <laughs> that wasn't a transition. Joe Burrow had, had a trans, uh, had transition as well. But, like, Joe Burrow was used to throwing into tight windows. Um, Tua wasn't. So, it should take him longer, right? No, it should. I, de- I definitely think that... So much of it was because Justin Herbert hit the ground running. Yeah. So much of it was that, oh, my gosh, Justin Herbert's playing so much better. Tua Tungvalu is never going to pan out. And then you also have, and I think you've had this conversation on this podcast too, is that, you know, man, can, can weak-arm quarterbacks make it in this league anymore? Yeah. Can, can the Joe Burrows and Tua Tungvaluas make it in this league? I want a Josh Allen. I want a Mahomes. I want a Kyler Murray. I want a Herbert. I want a guy that can, quote-unquote, make all the throws. And Tua as we saw last year, doesn't have elite arm talent. Neither does Joe Burrow, and that showed up as concerns in the NFL. Is there a reason for, obviously, progress? Tua Tungamailoa and Joe Burrow are two of the most accurate quarterbacks coming out of that, you know, coming out of that year. So I do think that you're going to see some positive, you know, positive regression from an accuracy perspective. I think he gets more confident behind that offensive line, more confident in that offense in 2021. He progresses slightly. I think the bigger reason for pessimism is how much. If yeah. Tua Tungamailoa is somehow worse next year – this is a whole different ball game, but I do think he gets better. It's just how much better. Cause if he enters that Kirk cousins, Matt Ryan, yeah. Derek Cartier, it gets that much harder to been a build a super bowl competitive team. Because if you don't have a legit game changer at the quarterback position, you are behind the eight ball. He needs to unlock big plays. Like of all, even of just, the, even of just the rookie quarterbacks last year, he had by far the lowest big time throw rate. Just was not, being aggressive with the football and actually trying to make a big play. And, you know, even Fitzpatrick was, like, coaching him up, trying to get him to do that. It's like, look, sometimes you just got to throw the ball. You just got to put it in the air and give your guy a, cha- a cha- chance to make the play. He hasn't been doing that yet. That – it's an easy win area in terms of if you get better at that, you can catapult forward in leaps and bounds. But it's one of those things that I think is really hard to actually change in terms of mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, this is Alex Smith for a decade and a half, right? It's like – Dude, just put the ball in the air. You can see it. You know the guy's going to be open. Just let rip. And it took like 10 years for him to finally get uh, Andy Reid and Tyreek Hill, and suddenly Alex Smith becomes like a deep ball passing machine. Um, but it's like that's a really hard thing to rewire in a quarterback. I don't think that's talked about enough, honestly. Like your level of aggression matters. How, how coachable that is is yeah. tough. Like to coach – aggression out of a quarterback is very difficult we were talking to jt o'sullivan the who runs the qb school on youtube he's also a mm-hmm. former nfl quarterback talking about what's coachable versus not coachable in in right. the nfl at the quarterback position he talks a lot about like competitiveness and like that innate nature to want it the want to the gumption if you will to like put it down the football field to feel like you're the you know the best quarterback on the football best player on the football field that's tough and we didn't see that a ton from justin herbert though like justin herbert i remember the biggest concern was like man he just never shows up where's the aggression but then he goes to the Los Angeles Chargers and he finds some newfound confidence I think Tua if anything needs to be more confident in 2021 you show more confidence yeah. you're going to get more aggressive naturally and I think you need that from Tua in 2021 and I think that's a product of of that Alabama transition right like it's easy to put the ball in the air when you see yeah. a guy five yards open nobody anywhere near him it's a lot harder to do it when you don't even see him open yet like just all three of the receivers he played with went in the first round yeah top 15 top 20 like you just have to actually trust that he's going to be open not even that he is open at the point you're throwing the ball so yeah Tua I think easily the biggest reason for pessimism for Miami if he doesn't pan out the whole thing they're building there Mm -hmm. is going nowhere um New England 
they're next alphabetically, right? No, I think it's the Jets. Is it? Yeah. New York Jets. No, 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 I go no, by no. I go by a team. Oh, name. you go by team name. Yeah, oh, sorry. It doesn't matter. Guys. I can go either way. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go Patriots. All right. um, biggest reason for pessimism for New England. So this is interesting. I I I I I thought about this one for a while, and I ultimately put Cam Newton injuries. I oh. do think that Cam Newton's injuries. Or if he plays for all 17 games next year, I'm going to keep working in that 17 game. I know it's 17 right. games now. But if he plays for all 17 games, I think this is a legit, like, playoff competitive team. I think it's a wow. team that can go into the AFC. And, if, and that's just, So if he plays 17 games and is healthy while yeah, playing. Yes, as yes, opposed yeah, to absolutely. Battling he through. can't get COVID. He can't be nursing a shoulder injury. Yeah, yeah. We need to see. I'm not saying he has to be, like, the MVP caliber Cam Newton, but I want him to be 100% for 17 games. Like, is that we, even possible I don't anymore? know if it's possible. That's the problem. And yeah. if it's not possible, and I've had this conversation too, I think the Mac Jones selection at 15 made it so that the floor of the offense is improved. But no one wins Super Bowls with a high-floor offense. You need a high-ceiling offense. And Newton, if healthy for 17 games, 100%, this is a high-ceiling offense, in my opinion. I know they, I call them the most improved team of the offseason. According to PFF's Free Agency Improvement Index, which you can find on pff.com if you Google it, they are the most improved team of the offseason when you combine what they did in the draft and what they did in Free Agency. Did they spend a lot to do it? Yes. Over yes. $135 million <laughs> guaranteed, the second most we've ever seen handed out in a single offseason in NFL history. They did it for good reason, though, because they have – that cheat code in the NFL, a quarterback on a rookie contract, and Cam Newton making $5 million this year. If, they win, if he wins the Super Bowl, he makes less than Sam Darnold does this yeah, year. That's the, that's the incentive-laden contract Cam Newton's working with. So if he's healthy for 17 games and, and, and they run this offense as they expect, a ton of 12 personnel with John o. Smith and Hunter Henry, a defense that I think is also good, an offensive line – Call me out on here. I think it's a top three offensive line in the NFL. Agreed. This is a legit yeah. offensive line. Cam Newton behind it. Two tight end sets. Nelson Aguilar was good last year, flash in the pan. I don't really worry about the receiving core. It's going to be a focus on the tight end group. I think this offense is also one that is going to be very difficult for defenses to stop because there aren't a lot like it. There are not a lot of offenses in the NFL. That is They're going to run 12 personnel to the two that they will, and they're not with the running quarterback and with the offensive line they have. The, yeah, it, people have been speculating about this for years, right? That like with as long as the league is continually pushing to smaller, faster, spread offense, speed, somewhere along the line, somebody is going to swing back in the other direction and go like run heavy. Yeah. And it's probably going to be the Patriots because it's always the Patriots, right? And suddenly the Patriots go and make two different tight ends, the third highest paid tight end in the NFL in the space of like 36 hours in free agency. <laughs> and it's like, oh, <laughs> New England is pivoting to this right now. That will be interesting to see if, if that's what they do and if it does have success just because of that. I, I wonder if the, de if the magic on defense is gone now. Like if they're able to actually rebuild a high-end, like really imposing defense to the point where it's a problem for anybody again. And if you look at, again, what they've done in free agency and spending and, and even people are getting back from uh, the opt-out last year, I mean, it's important players like Dante Hightower, et cetera, but, like, the, the talent on this defense top to bottom is still not great. Like, mm -mm. Matthew Judon was a big free agency spending player, and Judon is one of those guys who has been a little bit of a product of the system in Baltimore, like, isn't an elite high-end you know, top-tier pass rusher is a guy that's good and can defend the run. Like, Stephon Gilmore is the best player on that defense, but Gilmore hasn't played at his best for a while now and is over 30 at this point. Like, is he ever going to get back to that guy again? You just look at it and you think, well, is Bill Belichick still capable of making this group into, like, this elite defense? 
I think so. I, I really do. And I really like what they've done with the front seven. It might be the Bill Belichick, like, just rubbing off on me. <laughs> I mean, I do think that Matthew Judon, I, I, I kind of like Devon Godchow. I kind of like Byron Coward. I think Montrevious Adams, Christian Barmore's depth. You have Chase Winovich there, Anthony Jennings, Josh Uchi entering year two, Ronnie Perkins, a third-round pick. Add your guy, Henry Anderson. Like, they have <laughs> rotational depth along the defensive line. They get Dante Hightower back. And then in the secondary, I have bigger concerns about their secondary than I do their front seven. Sure. And that includes a secondary with J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore. Jalen Mills, I did not love that signing. The McCourty yeah. brothers are only getting older. I think Duggar takes a step in year two. But I think Bill Belichick has done such a good job with, like, making guys better and i think mm. he's going to make a lot of these guys specifically in the front seven a lot better entering like a lot in terms of development anthony jennings winovich um uche I, I do think those guys progress pretty significantly this year and then you add a jude on lawrence guy coming back like i do think that this defense will it be a you know defense obviously super volatile super dependent on injuries and health but i think it is, it's still capable of being a top 10 unit in the nfl one thing, yeah, one thing Belichick is very good at is just consistently putting players in a good position yes. to succeed. Not asking them to do things they can't do, which is, it sounds ridiculous and the simplest thing in the world, but most coaches don't do it. Most coaches will just say, you are doing this, and if you can't do it to this level, we'll find a guy who can. You know, they're not, like, tailoring the thing to what you can do. Bill Belichick is really the only guy out there consistently saying, we're not going to ask people to do things that they're bad at on a consistent basis. Yeah. Like maybe every once in a while it'll happen and we'll get burned for it, but that's on us, not you. We're going to ask you to do the things you're good at, not do the things you're bad at. And then if you still suck at that, we'll find somebody else. Or if somebody does what you can do well, plus these other things, then you're gone. But so, and in the only successful offensive coaches of late, the guys who've had a lot of success offensively late have done that exact same thing. Yeah. You look at what the Ravens have done with Lamar Jackson, building that offense and putting him in a position to succeed. It's such an Kevin Stefanski part. with Baker Mayfield, Brian Dable with Josh Allen. Like you are, your, your job as an offensive coordinator or coach on either side of the ball is not to bring a system and make sure all of your players can run it. It's to what can your players do, identify their strengths, and try and hide their weaknesses in a scheme that fit, makes sense. All right, New York Jets. What's their biggest issue? I, I put Zach Wilson on the big stage. You know, a lot of concerns with Zach Wilson coming from BYU and, and not playing the level of competition. Only a one-year wonder there in Provo, Utah. I do think that you're on the big stage now, buddy. And you look at that division, going against McDermott, going against Brian Flores, going against Bill Belichick. Like, these are some defense coordinators going to eat you up a little bit. And I think this def the defenses and the talent he sees in the NFL is going to be significantly different. And when you talk about that change from going from, you know, a small smaller school like BYU to the NFL, that's going to be significant. Fortunately for him, he's going to have an offseason. It's not going to be just Zoom meeting practices. Right. He's going to be able to be able to see some of that a in practice and a preseason, three games. That will help him. But I do think that... I would not be surprised, like with all rookie quarterbacks, that it's a slow start. And if it is a slow start, I think that ultimately keeps you from the playoffs in what is a very, very good division, a division that has high expectations across the board. Newton, Allen, and obviously uh, Tua, there was all high expectations for those three teams. So I do think that he's in a very tough division on the big stage, going to see really good defensive coordinators, really good defenses for the first time. Yeah, I mean, Wilson, I think there's a degree to which you would expect him to, expect him to struggle generally. He's, he's not, like, my biggest reason for pessimism for the team. I, I think he'll probably be okay, flash some big plays, and ultimately make enough mistakes that it's not like he's not going to elevate everything around him um, to some different level. I still have concerns about the offensive line. Like, I, I like what they've done. They've thrown a lot at it. They've, uh, they keep swinging. You bring in a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round. Okay, we didn't love the trade to get him, but mm -hmm. I like getting him as a player. Um, the left side should be good. But the right side is still not in good shape. I mean, Connor McGovern in center, 
Greg Van Roten, George Fant, Alex Lewis. There's, there's a lot of players there to try and pick up those spots, but the right side of that offensive line could still be a mess. And then my biggest issue is, like, look at who is playing corner for them. Like, it's a whole bunch of, like, fifth, sixth, seventh, and undrafted free agents. There's, you can easily imagine a world where nobody in that corner room can cover anybody all season. It's tough, man. I, I do think that, you know, Mike and I have talked about how Robert Salah is going to bring a defense that where you can mask some that of the cornerback yeah. deficiencies. Like, you can you don't need a ton of speed in that right. defense. And I think what I love is, that, you know, we loved um, Bryce Hall coming out. We mm-hmm. love Bryce Hall coming out of Virginia when he was drafted, and he is perfect for yeah. what Robert Salah There's a couple of players, to their credit, there's a couple of players they have who I think are much better fits within a, a Robert Salah defense than they were previously yeah so there's guys there that you could imagine taking a big step forward but just the fact that they're all like yeah. fifth round and beyond there's a degree like there's a level to which you expect those guys to be any good and even though i liked this i like the signing of sheldon rankins i like the signing of carl lawson this pass rush is not going to be what he had in san francisco right like the, he needs a solid pass rush to win defensively and i don't think it's going to be that like i do not think there's New no York Nick Bosa there. Yeah, I think – and a lot of people talk about, you know, how important defensive coordinators are, and Robert Salah is obviously going to, like, I think take some improvement steps here. But a lot of the times you play to the level of the talents on the football field, and if you don't have the talent there yet, and I don't think they do, like there's some concerns at linebacker, concerns in the pass rush, and I think the secondary, obviously. Like there's a lot of – it's a talent-deficient defense. Did they take steps in the right direction? Sure. I think you could say the same thing about the offense. Like the offense is still talent-deficient. You're still banking on the development of Denzel Mims. Corey Davis, though he had a, a career year, still is not a true number one. He's right. a number two next to Denzel Mims there. So I do think that they've made some – Right steps. But they were drafting number two overall for a reason. Yeah. This team is still multiple pieces away from being significantly competitive. And I think, I guess if you wanted to highlight a true reason for optimism, it's just overall lack of talent. Are they making the right steps? Absolutely. But it's inexperience on yeah. this team. There's overall lack of talent on this team. You're not going from two to 32 yeah. in terms of draft I mean, that, order. That's the bottom soon. line, right? Is that you've, made, you've done a lot of right things. And if Zach Wilson pans out, that, that, that's the biggest step you can make. <laughs> on the other hand, you were a very bad team to begin with. Yeah. You still have a way to go on the road. As a Jets team, the biggest thing, it doesn't matter the win column. As a Jets fan, I'm saying, as a Jets fan, what you want is, is Zach Wilson to look good. Yeah. <laughs> That's the biggest question mark for the Jets right now. Is Zach Wilson good? And I don't, it doesn't matter if you lose all games. If Zach Wilson looks good and is developing accordingly, that is a huge win for the Jets. Yeah, certainly at least not to come. You don't want to come out of that season with Zach Wilson having like a Tua rookie year. Yes. Where next or next season, Arnold like, oh, year. God, is he, is he actually the real guy? Particularly if two or three of the other rookie quarterbacks look great. And you're like, oh, shit, did we take the wrong one? Oh, no. Um, all right, AFC North, Baltimore. Baltimore, starting with the Baltimore here. I, I, this one's interesting. I think I could, get, I could roll some heads here. Some people are going to be upset. <laughs> Lamar Jackson's ceiling. Oh, I'm interested. Doing? I'm interested in just how good is Lamar Jackson's ceiling because I do think that we saw it already. Is can he improve? Well, yeah, MVP. Yeah, can, <laughs> can he can he continue to hit it? And is it or was that it? Was yeah. that like I'm not going to make the comparison to Cam Newton wholesale, but I do think that Cam Newton had that MVP caliber season, and we never really saw it again. And Lamar Jackson hasn't, hasn't even hit injuries. Right. The problem has been, I think, more of the supporting cast. I do think that the offensive line is good, but the receiving core, like his leading targets were like Willie Sneed at some points during the season. Like I do think that the Ravens supporting cast needs to get better. They added Rashad Bateman in the first round. It's time to live up to those expectations. I do think you need to see Lamar Jackson be different. And he was in bits. I think in that playoff game where they won, you saw it. I need to see it for 17 games. You need to see Lamar Jackson be legitimately 
unstoppable to the level that Allen was last year for multiple games, Mahomes was for most of the season, Aaron Rodgers was most of the season, if Lamar Jackson's going to be considered in the top five, top five quarterbacks, which I think he needs to be if this team's going to be Super Bowl competitive, then you better show up for more than a handful of games. I need to see it unstoppable levels of play from Lamar Jackson for multiple stretches. Yeah, I think you're in the right area. I would just broaden it to the passing game generally. I don't think it's necessarily Lamar Jackson individually. I think the Ravens have hit this wall in in the passing game where things, you know, he had that MVP season, everything was cooking. And then as always happens, teams start to figure out what you're doing and how to defend it better. And as soon as that happened, we stalled. We The passing game wasn't as good as it used to be. And now <clears throat> we don't quite know what happened, right? Was it the offensive line not being as strong as it was when you lose Marshall Yanda and suddenly your, your line is not a dominant force anymore and the run game isn't as potent and the passing game isn't as good off the back of it? Uh, or was it the lack of like true number one receivers, right? Who was he throwing the ball to? Now you add a Rashad Bateman to potentially fix that. You bring in a Sammy Watkins again has the potential. Like, just generally, I think they're spinning their wheels and they don't know quite what has gone wrong with that offense. Um, and remember, like last season, people were talking about like people know what we're doing. Like th- yeah. they're calling out our plays before we run them. That's not a good situation to yeah, be the in. The passing game go- coordinator fiasco. Right. <laughs> so like generally, they're in this world where I don't know if they've figured that out yet. And I agree that if they can't, if they haven't, there's a ceiling to how good this team and this offense can be. They need to figure out how to get that passing game back on track to get Lamar back to that MVP level, to get the offense back to that like unstoppable level, even if it's different to other unstoppable offenses in the NFL. If they don't do that, I mean, they're going to struggle to win the division, let alone the Super Bowl. And I don't even think that Lamar Jackson needs to successfully create more big plays in the passing game. I think he could be leveraged more as a runner in those things, but it's just the turnovers. You look at his turnover-worthy play rate in 2020, 3.7%. In the year prior, it was only 2.1%. That was a big reason why, like, if you can hold on to the football, not turn over the football at the rate Lamar Jackson did last year, this team is, you know, Super Bowl competitive. You look at his big-time throw rate in his MVP season was just 5.2%. And in, in last year, it was actually better at 5.4%. Like, you saw that from Lamar Jackson. It's not the big plays that you're chasing. It's the negative plays. And when he is getting these negative plays, what can you do? You look at last year, only three single-game grades above 80 in the from a passing grade perspective. In the previous year, he had over six. You need to see that level of consistency as a passer from Lamar Jackson if you want to be one of the top five teams in the NFL. Yeah, I agree completely. Um... Let's move on to the Cincinnati Bengals. Ooh, Cincinnati Bengals. I have here biggest reason for pessimism. The first time I probably don't bring up a quarterback. And even though there's reasons for pessimism with Joe Burrow, how, how much can he come from the injury? There was, he was like one of the worst deep throwers we've ever seen last year. Like, that was crazy. Coming from LSU, who was the most accurate deep passer we've ever seen in the last year, bottom five in accuracy rate on, on throws of 20-plus yards. But I think the bigger reason is the offensive line concerns and the depth. Like, I think Riley Reef, you look at last year among offensive tackles on true pass sets, was top five in pressure percentage allowed. Like, he was good last year. And Jonah Williams, when you go back and watch some of his games against some of the better competition top five faced, pressure rate pressure, allowed, as in yeah. <clears throat> fewest. Fewest. Yeah. Lowest pressure rate allowed, top five. And then for Jonah Williams, you look at some of the games he had last year against Miles Garrett and stuff, he, like, he held his own. I think Jonah Williams takes a step forward now in, like, what is essentially his second season after losing his entire rookie season to injury. Riley Reef, I think, can be good. The interior gets better with the addition of Jackson Carmen, Cincinnati's own, but the depth is still not there. Mm. I mean, this this offensive line gets injured. If Reef gets injured or Williams, whoever it may be, you're toast. I mean, this <laughs> offensive line is not in a good place. It wasn't a good place last year, and while they did add some like fill-ins, it's a very it does not have depth, and that is obviously a huge concern. Yeah, I mean, like when you're talking about one of the worst five offensive lines in the game, like you need to 
replace at least four of the five starters just getting five quality starters is going to be hard enough never mind depth like you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get depth players in the same offseason I, I think yeah the offensive line is still a concern I think you're right though that it, it, it could be reasonable quite quickly like Jonah Williams could be good um Riley Reef solid uh there's a world where Quentin Spain is a much better player than he was last year um like we've seen decent play from Quentin Spain before Jackson Carmen Trey Hopkins, if he can just hold his head above water at center, suddenly and get back healthy. So. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly, your offensive line is okay. Like it's it's a, it's good enough, right? It's done what we talked about, creeping back towards average. But as you say, one injury torpedoes the whole thing, and we're starting over again. Um, I think also again, like it's the same story. Like cornerback is a potential issue. Like you, they lost William Jackson, who was the one sort of high end star. You bring in uh, Wuzier in, in free agency, but like that's not a great group of corners, and that no, it's a bad group of corners. Spiral badly. So I mean, they have Eli Apple, Chidobe Wuzier, and they added Mike Hilton. I do like the addition of Mike Hilton in the slot. That's the Trey move. Wayne's getting back from injury. Yeah. I'm not saying it's good. I'm still like an interesting. It's an interesting pairing there. I also think their pass rush got worse. Like they yes. lost Carl Lawson, replaced him with Trey Hendrickson. I don't. I mean, the addition of Larry Ogunjobi. He's never been like an elite pass rusher, at least not elite consistently. Sam Hubbard is your other starting defensive uh, defensive end there. Like there are concerns with this defense. This defense is not going to I mean, be good. But to, to be fair, it's not great. Yeah, to be fair, the Bengals Bengals fans here in Cincinnati know. They're not winning the Super Bowl next year. The biggest question mark for the Bengals is Joe Burrow. Can Joe Burrow bounce back? And yeah. can Joe Burrow be an 80, 85.0 graded passer with a healthy offensive line and those things? But I don't know how good this offensive line is going to be because I, I think it just needs to be average. Mm-hmm. But any injury along that offensive line and yeah. it torpedoes itself. If and it that get, is a huge concern. If, <clears throat> if it gets back to being average, like the combination of Burrow to Chase. And that's Jamar all it has Chase. to be. That's all it has yeah, to yeah. be. The combination of Burrow to Jamar Chase with the rest of the receivers they have, suddenly that's a really potent-looking offense if the line is okay and if Joe Burrow is back to 100%. Like, that was – it wasn't just a knee injury. You know what I mean? Yeah. If he just torn his ACL, it would be not great, and you'd be like, okay, let's hope he gets back 100%. But that was like a pretty devastating knee injury. That was – a lot of things went wrong in that knee, and it's no given that Joe Burrow comes back, like, Joe Burrow. And so you go back to uh, and watch that play. So I was watching Jonah Williams against some of the top competition to get an idea of like where he's at. And you see him against Montez Sweat and Chase Young, and like again, holding his own. Like I felt really good about Jonah Williams' tape last year. On that play, I think it's like Jonathan Allen like bear hugging one of the guards and just like falling into Joe Burrow's yeah. like it's not I think a lot of people brought up like the Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase conversation. Like, oh man, if you don't, he's gonna get hurt again. It's like it was kind of a freak play. Like, it was a very freak play in that it was a bear hug by the defensive lineman. That interior offensive line is arguably worse than what they Not had arguably. to tackle. Much worse. Much worse. I mean, Billy Price has never panned out. And then you have I, I Michael Jordan, though, like an athletic freak out of Ohio State, has not been good. I do think that the interior was where I have more concerns. Yeah. And, and handling interior pressure is not easy, as Joe Burrow's knee can tell you. Yes. Um, all right. Cleveland Browns. What is their reason for pessimism? Oh, man, I, this is another I, one that's tough. I, I, I said Baker Mayfield ceiling. Like, I'm interested to know. I know you, there's a lot of reasons. It's like, oh, man, he's going to take another step forward. Year two with Kevin Stefanski. You saw it panning out down the stretch. But does it get better for better Baker Mayfield? You know, look at last this past year, an 85.1 PFF passing grade, way better than what we've seen in previous years, 72.4 with the Kitchens disaster and 79.9 as a rookie. Kitchens disaster. Can Baker Mayfield be a 90.0 plus PFF grade passer? But does he even passer? need to be? I think he needs to be. Really? I think he needs to be. If I you mean, they, compete they with, almost knocked off the Chiefs with no defense. I, if you want to compete consistently for Super Bowls, I think you need to be. And Granted, I think Baker Mayfield. Chad Henney-led Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Shh. Baker Mayfield needs to be – that level of passer. He See, needs I, to be I, in I that tier. Think, 
that things around him are so much better now that like, I mean, put it this way, right? If Baker Mayfield plays the way he did last year, they're still making the playoffs, right? Oh, 100%. Okay, so if they're making the playoffs and their defense is better than it was last year, like how many teams are knocking them off? Against Kansas City and the Bills are the biggest competitors. Right. And then if Lamar Jackson hits his stride in one game. You're already putting them like in the divisional round, a game away from the conference championships, two games away from the Super Bowl. And like Baker Mayfield's capable of having a good game in, yeah. in one of those. So like, I mean, I guess at that point you're just looking for the ball to bounce your way. But when I think about reasons for pessimism, pessimism, I'm looking at reasons for pessimism for them to be consistently like competing for Super yeah, Bowls. Like, and I do think that like any of these teams could kind of hit you know the high side of variance and make a run. Like even Ryan Fitzpatrick led Washington football team could do that. But I think for yeah, Baker yeah, Mayfield, if this team about. wants to be like, oh man, the number two in power rankings next year, if they want to be number two behind the Chiefs or the Bucks next year, you need to see Baker Mayfield light it up. There's no excuses. There are no excuses for Baker Mayfield not to be a top five graded passer next year. Odell Beckham Jr. coming back from injury. Kevin Stefanski, year two. One of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Let's fucking see it. Like, I want to, I don't know if you could swear on this podcast, but I did. But I, I want to see Baker Mayfield light it up next year. There is no reason not to. We'll just throw up the uh, parental advisory tag <laughs> in this one. Um, I, yeah, like, I, I just think that the interesting thing with Baker Mayfield is I don't think he needs to get better for this team to be a contender next year. I think if he does, it's obviously... Like if Baker Mayfield plays better and gets into that Josh Allen 90 category from a year ago, like the Browns are one of the favorites, like legitimately yeah. suddenly you're talking about, well, not, not can they hang with the chiefs? It's can the chiefs hang with the Browns, even with a better quarterback. Um, if he stays the same, I think they're already contenders, but obviously it's a little bit sketchier. If he regresses, now you might have some problems. Um, to me, they're, they're sort of biggest obvious areas of concern this year they threw a lot at that defense in the secondary, and we love everything they did, but it doesn't always come together immediately, yeah. right? What if that entire unit takes some time to gel, right? And the, the secondary doesn't figure its stuff out year one, and that's still a weakness this year, even though they've overhauled it from a personnel standpoint. And on paper, it looks great. Like Grant Delpit, we haven't really seen. What if he's just not good, like that kind of stuff? Um, Greg Newsom is a rookie. Every rookie in the NFL got torched last year. He won't necessarily be an upgrade. The alternative is Greedy Williams coming back. We haven't seen good play from him. JOK was this question mark, and, and where does he really play in the NFL? There's just there's a, there's a situation where like almost none of the additions they made actually makes them better next year, which could happen. And then the other thing is, like, what if they haven't, what if they can't figure out how to integrate Odell Beckham into this offense? And That's true. Like, logical or not, what if it's just the chemistry that doesn't work? And for some reason, Beckham in this offense with Baker Mayfield, it's just oil and water. It just, it doesn't mix. It's not functioning. And now you're left with this guy who should be your number one superstar wide receiver, but is somehow actively making everything else worse. And because it's Odell Beckham, you're going to have drama somewhere along the line. There'll be an Instagram post that everyone gets pissed off with. Like, you know what I mean? You can yeah. just see, see a, a situation. It where, shouldn't be a reason, but right. it is. But it, it, could it, be. It, it could be. I agree with that. I think I want to talk more about how they've built this defense, man. I really do think, and we've talked, we've waxed poetic about how much we love what the Browns did in the draft and yep. in the offseason, filling every need in free agency and then going into the draft, just drafting like best player available to them. You look at specifically, so everyone talks about the secondary, adding Greg Newsome, you know, Troy Hill, you know, Greedy Williams entering what you're three I think is awesome and then you have Grant Delpa entering your two but look at the defensive line I think Eric Eager Dr. Eric Eager here um, director of research development has talked a lot about if you can add a big two gapping defensive lineman whether he plays nose or through tech whatever it may be it can do a lot for the back end and I think what they've done with Andrew Billings Malik Jackson 
Tommy Togiai, who's an absolute monster, can be a great run defender. And then Malik McDowell, Marvin Wilson, like they've added, they're just like trying to add beef yeah. along the defensive line to free them up on the back end, free those linebackers up a little bit. Like okay. I think they're building this defense to a T, exactly how PFF would approach, and that invest in the secondary and find your wins along the defensive line, find those cheats along the defensive yeah, line like just, they have, and taking smart gambles as well. Yes. Like they they grabbed a whole bunch of players who. Most of them probably won't pan out, but if one does or two does, it's like a home run hit, right? Like a guy like Malik McDowell, second round pick, like was it a car accident or a bike accident or something like torpedoed the entire guy's career. Yeah. Let's just roll the dice. Let's see if he's got anything. Might as well. I'd say he's only 24 years old. Right. Um, Curtis Weaver was a guy that we love, thought was like a high pick in terms of talent, goes to Miami, immediately like just doesn't work out there, cast aside. But all right, let's bring him in and see if like see if the college tape actually does. Yeah suggests what kind of NFL player he could be. Uh, Malik Jackson isn't quite what he was, but it's still a consistent uh, pressure threat. Marvin Wilson has an undrafted free agent. I think Davion Clowney. McKinley, a guy who's seen as a bust because he wasn't as good as his first-round pick, but is like not a bad player mm-hmm. if you add him as part of your rotation. Talk about some drama with him. You get, you get mad at a couple social yeah. media posts from Tack McKinley. Jadevian Clowney, like the latest team to give him the chance to show that he's worth the giant money contract that he wants, like probably won't. He's but been he's, on one-year prove-it deals for the last three years. Yeah, yeah. But, but even if he plays at that level again, it's it's good. It's Only a, $10 million? It's, it's a sidestep from Olivier Vernon, right? It's it's not going backwards, which I think is critical. So, yeah, I I can't say enough about what the Browns have been doing over the last two years in terms of rebuilding this thing. I think it's top to bottom they're making smart moves, and it's why I think you have to have a lot of faith about like things like Baker Mayfield continuing to get better. Like the the things that they put around him last year are all still there. Offensive line's great, system is still great, and it's year two of him in the same system for the first time. Yeah. Um, and then Odell Beckham, like that's the one question mark. I want to see it from Baker, man. This is same. his year. I yeah. want to see it. Uh, Pittsburgh. I got a little play on words for you here. Big oh, nice. Ben's clock is running out. I think it's out. Hmm. I think if Big Ben's done, I don't think Big Ben's capable of being a top 15 passer in the NFL. You don't think he's capable of it? Not anymore. What's his limitation? I think his, I think his limitation is just his, the arm talent is not there. I, I also think that this offensive line. You don't think line, he has the arm to get it done anymore? I don't think he has the arm to get it done. I think this offensive line is significantly worse. The only thing I like about That's this. That's a big concern. I think the, 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 the only thing I like about this offense is the receiving core. And even then, like, there are concerns. Deontay Johnson is inconsistent. Juju Smith-Schuster is inconsistent. Like, I don't know. This Pittsburgh Steelers team also lost a lot defensively. I think Big Ben will not be a top 15 graded passer next year. And that, combined with the strength of this roster, who lost Bud Dupree, though he isn't like as good as maybe his stats would suggest, is still a competent starter. Like This is a defense that has significant concerns. This is an offensive line with significant concerns. And you combine that with a quarterback that I don't think ranks inside the top 15 uh, among quarterbacks next year in terms of passing grade, passer rating, whatever metric you like. And that, again... I don't know if they're a playoff team. Yeah. They're, they're it, I think, what, plus 800 to win the division? I think they're like six-point dogs in week one. Like, this is a team that no one likes for good reason. Tom Brady is, like, breaking everybody's perception of what old aging quarterbacks look like, right? Yeah. Tom Brady's playing, what is he, like 43 and still looks like a Superman? It's, it's ridiculous. Crazy. But Ben Roethlisberger's 39 years old. The other two quarterbacks from the first round of his draft class are retired now. Like, Eli's been out of the league a couple of years Philip Rivers just walked away because he reached the point where he was like, I can't get it done the way I used to. It's time. Roethlisberger's the last holdover, and he's coming off, albeit a while ago, like a significant injury to his elbow, like something that actually impacts your throwing. And so if you look at his grading, like he's had high 80s, 90s PFF grades during his prime. 
But 2018, that dropped 10 points. Mm -hmm. It went down from 84.5 passing grade to 75.2. It's like a 10-point drop in his passing grade. The following year, he started the season like crap and then injured the elbow and then came back last year and his grade was 68. So he, it's been like three years since we've seen old Roethlisberger, like the, the vintage Ben Roethlisberger. Now, the reason for optimism, I think, is, okay, it's still there. And if he just gets more aggressive, pushes the ball down the field more, blah, 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 like he can make the biggest difference to this team of anything they can do. But I think your point is reasonable that I, I, why would that happen now? I don't like know He's 39 why. years old. His arm probably isn't what it used to be. And the offensive line is not conducive to keeping the ball longer and putting it further down the field. Like it's conducive to getting the hell out, like getting it out of his hands as quickly as possible. It's hard to imagine a world where Roethlisberger has this big jump in play. If you're high on the Pittsburgh Steelers, it, it, it's important to get your, your wallet out because they're plus 400 to win the division. They're plus 170 to make the playoffs. And they're six and a half point dogs to the Buffalo Bills in week one. Like there are no one is long on the Pittsburgh Steelers because of the state of this roster, because of the state of Ben Roethlisberger's arm. Like you're not seeing a lot of reasons for optimism. However, if I was on that podcast for the reasons for optimism, I think the reason for optimism maintains to be Mike Tomlin, who's arguably yeah. one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL, a guy that has maintained success in Pittsburgh over the course of multiple roster rehauls and these types of things. I do think that Mike Tomlin keeps this thing together. Like even, you know, they're replacing obviously uh, Pouncey with the, the rookie Kendrick Green, like a, a third round pick out of Illinois. I like what they did in the draft a lot um, after the Najee Harris pick, but I do think that, man, this Pittsburgh Steelers defense is going to take a step back. This offense could even take a step back. And at that point, what are we talking about here? <laughs> like if, if the Steelers offense yeah. takes a step back from last year, I don't know how good they're going to be next year. All right. We'll move on to the uh, AFC South in a second. But first, we've got to hit the first uh, first ad read. Let's do it. I'm a, I, this is like I, I usually switch off. Let Steve read the ads and, you know. I'll switch off. Nice little mental, nice little mental break during the podcast. But now I actually have to pay attention, read the ad. Uh, so Western and Southern, life is full of questions like, am I saving enough for retirement, Austin? Are you? Uh, and is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance? Just to name a few. In these trying times, we're all shouldering the constant burden of uncertainty together. No one should have to settle for answers to life-altering questions that involve gray area or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead and leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investment and investments compensated endorser products issued by member companies of western southern financial group cincinnati ohio right afc south uh what are the teams in the afc south jacksonville indy houston where's our first alphabetical where are you i have us? the colts first. okay let's go uh i this is verbatim i mean <laughs> carson wentz still being bad <laughs> like, like that is the biggest reason for pessimism here i do think that this roster overall I think the strength has been overstated. I think there's some. I think their, their coaching does a really good job, and their defense is like built. It's built right for what that uh, Iberflus wants to do. But I think if this team doesn't play well next year and doesn't make the postseason next year, it's going to be because Carson Wentz is still a bottom three quarterback in the NFL, like he was in Philly. Does he have more reason to have success? Yes, I've predicted that he does land in the QB 14 to 20 range in Indianapolis. But if he doesn't, if that prediction doesn't come true, I mean, this Colts team is going to be legit bad. And like, I think the only positive there is they don't end up giving up a first round pick to the Eagles because they don't make the playoffs 
Yeah, don't they get? Doesn't he get one even if he just plays like? I don't know if he plays a lot, but I hope they game the system enough. They realize right, like that, if like, we <laughs> suck, that dude sitting. I'll on tell the you bench. right now, week six is gonna be very important. If weeks one through six, Carson Wentz is a dumpster fire. They're gonna <laughs> they're gonna drop. I'm not drop him, but bench him so they avoid giving yeah. up the first round pick. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's their area, right? It's whether you put the blame on Carson Wentz or whether you say they haven't done enough to surround him. My, my big concern is that, look, Carson Wentz is your all-in gamble, right? You needed a quarterback. There what a wasn't, gamble. <laughs> right, there wasn't a ton of options. I get what, why they did it, and I get – I don't love – it feels to me that at the minimum you should have made that trade where the first-round pick was contingent on him playing well, mm-hmm. not just playing. Uh, they didn't do that, but whatever. So That would be but an I, interesting trade. Have you ever seen that before? Yeah, like you would have to tie it to like a performance bonus, like Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl or like as absurd as that is, but Pro Bowl or whatever. Could be like passing or, touchdowns. You get in the red zone, you just hand the ball off. Yeah, but like something, right? Yeah, something yeah. that's more than just if he's on the field playing, like because that could be <laughs> terrible. So I, I would have liked to have seen that if you're throwing away a first round pick on it. But I get why I get you needed to make a move, and this was one of the few moves available to you. Like if they had instead thrown all their chips in a Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson bucket, like they'd still have nothing, right? Yeah. They would have crapped out because the Seahawks weren't trading Wilson and, you know, Deshaun Watson's got his own problems right now. And suddenly you're left holding the bucket with like no quarterback at all. So I get why they went after Wentz and being as aggressive as they did. But now you're like, okay, this is the guy that we've identified as the answer. How do we make sure it isn't a train wreck? And two things you need. One, Dude, let's make sure this offensive line is absolutely bulletproof. Right now, we don't have a left tackle because Anthony Costanzo just retired. What they do we do? They grabbed Eric Fisher. Yeah, but Eric Fisher just tore his Achilles oh, in the AFC Championship <laughs> game, right? So, A, who knows when he's coming back? Like That was only a few months ago Those that Sam he tore Tevy his Achilles. weeks are going to be brutal. Right. So, at the minimum, you know you're rolling through a few weeks with Sam Tevy, who let's be charitable, has been a, a disaster, right? <laughs> He's been charitable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's not going to go well. But then who the hell knows what Eric Fisher's going to be like when he comes back? The dude's coming back off a torn Achilles. Yeah, that's tough. So alternatively, you could have like, drafted a guy in the first round. You could have grabbed Charles Leno. You could have thrown all the money in the world at Trent Williams, whatever. You've taken a path to left tackle that seems iffy, given the alternatives, right? And then the receiving core is not as good as it could be. And it, like that's one of those things that if you're going to have a good quarterback, let's make sure the guys he's throwing to are as good as possible. So like we're putting a lot of stock in Frank Reich's ability to like rebuild Humpty Dumpty from the th- millions of pieces and on the ground. there's still cracks, yeah. Right. And even if he does, it's like, well, the things that are going to break him are still there. It's tough, man. I, I do think I have a bold prediction. Can I throw bold predictions here? Hit it. I think Jacob Easton starts at least four oh, games for this team. Wow. I think Jacob Easton starts at least four games for the Colts <laughs> in 2021 because either due to injury because Sam Tevy freaking throws somebody at Carson Wentz <laughs> or or they end up benching him because yeah. he does not play well and they want to avoid that first-round pick. I think Easton starts for this team. They do not make the playoffs. And honestly, they need to dynamite this thing. And they, and they need to restart. They need to find yeah, a quarterback. I mean, if, and need to make if the play. Wentz experiment blows up, the whole thing is getting yeah. just because even if you look at defensively like and again I've, I've liked they've done a really good job with the pieces they've had and they've played a lot of people in a position to succeed Eberflus does a really good job there with what you know with DeForest Buckner they had Quiddy Pay in the first round a pick that we really liked I think Darius Leonard plays well in that defense with his length like they 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 bring in players that fit that defensive scheme and have success be, success because of it but there still isn't a it's still not one of the more talented defenses in the NFL like they aren't you know top to bottom loaded with talent specifically along the along the defensive line so 
if Carson Wentz doesn't pan out, Jacob Eason starts four games, this is a team that's going to be in the running for like a blow up and a rebuild. Yeah, absolutely. And it would be, yeah, pretty depressing. <laughs> um, speaking of depressing, Houston. I put all 53 players. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is tough, man. I mean, this. But like the thing about Houston that's so funny is that like p- players number 30 through 53 are actually quite good. Because they added like 50 players. They added like 40 players in free agency in the draft. It's just the players one through like 30 are terrible. Their starters are rough. Like this team is bad. Like, I mean, there's, and then you factor in obviously the whole Deshaun Watson stuff. Like Davis Mills might start games for this team. Like, I mean, that that right there. That is is tough, dude. You're, this is a team that has like decent odds to go 0 and 17. And I, I don't know what you do here. Like this, I do think that you want to tank. I do think that if, you know, Deshaun Watson era is likely over in Houston. And for that reason, Spencer Rattler jersey, you know, comps, I mean, jersey swaps or whatever are going to be hitting pretty soon, like probably as soon as September, October, because this team is not going to be good next year. And though they added a ton of talent in the offseason, none of it is all that good. Like, it's, they raised the floor of this team. I think the culture might be improved. It's such a weird strategy, it's, it's, what it's, they've done. It's, it's like I, wild. When you look at the players that they've added, I like a lot of them. But part of that is because they just added 36 of them or whatever. Yeah. Like, the, the, the highest number of signings any team has made in a single offseason. Um, so obviously you're going to like some of them, right? And some of them have been weird. Like they added a bunch of running backs because uh, I have no okay. idea. Um, their, their roster building strategy is wild. Yeah. So you just look at it and you're like, I, I, uh, admittedly, the entire thing is not in a good shape. So they needed to do a lot, but I don't really understand what the strategy is just generally. Um, and you're now, they've made 36 signings. And you're like, did they even get better? Like no. this was not a good team anyway. They certainly didn't get better if Deshaun Watson isn't the starting quarterback. And even if he is, I don't know if it's a better team than it was a year ago, even though you added 36 players. So what are we doing here? So I said that the New England Patriots are the most improved team this offseason. I think they are the least improved. The Houston Texans. Despite you, adding 36 yeah, yeah, Despite players. adding 36 players, I think this is the least improved team. Yeah. I mean, I think you summed it up, right? If Davis Mills starts games for this team, like, that's your single biggest reason for pessimism. And then the other one being like, okay you were in a bad place it was probably a multi-year rebuild anyway but what did you do like Detroit you can look at and you say same situation right bad team multi-year rebuild I can see a clear thing I can see clear evidence of what you did what you achieved this offseason you massively strengthened the trenches on both sides right offense and defensive line you got way better there now we'll work on the perimeter now Mm -hmm. it's not the way I would have done it but I okay I can see what you've done next year we work on receivers and cornerbacks and now we've actually got a team with Houston, you're okay. You're a year into this. What did you do? Like you added 36 players, but where did they help? Davis Mills. I mean, Mike Renner said it on the live broadcast. He's <laughs> like, they set that pick on fire because they are going to be drafting one of Spencer Rattler, or yeah. Sam Howell, whoever it may be next year. So Davis Mills. So what's is, the point? You drafted a backup with your first pick, and then after that, they traded up with little draft capital. They trade up for Nico Collins, who is a project at wide receiver out of Michigan. Like, well, this, I actually kind of like, but again, it's like you can't. You didn't have the luxury of exactly. burning that. It doesn't draft make capital. sense. It doesn't make sense. Their their strategy has been wild. Yeah. So yeah, the reason for pessimism for Houston is pretty easy. Everything. Yeah, everything. Um, Jacksonville. I put the biggest reason is inexperience. I think both on the sideline and on the football field. So obviously Urban Meyer coming in from college, you know, to coach in the NFL. And then you also have Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. Like a lot of this team is very, very young, even like their big receiving core. You know, DJ Chark was only drafted in 2018. LaVisca Chanel entering year two. The offensive line is relatively inexperienced. Defensively, they're inexperienced. There's just not a lot of veteran talent on this team. There's a reason they're drafting number one overall. Yeah. 
Like, this team was not good last year. Talent-wise, not good. I think they need to develop across the board. Josh Allen needs to get better. Devon Hamilton needs to get better. Like, all, this entire team needs to take steps forward and identify who these veteran leaders are going to be, and obviously Trevor Lawrence being the d- number one for there. You're a, you're a good stickler for pronunciations. What's the official party line on Travis Etienne? I think it's Etienne. But so there's there's I don't Etienne, know, though. Right, yeah. So there's ETN, <laughs> right, which is A, just obnoxiously. No, I think it is ETN. ETN is just a obnoxiously American in terms of like you've taken an actual place name in France that has a pronunciation and then you've just Americanized it by loves it using ETN. So that that pains me. I hope it isn't that right. Then there's Etienne, which is the way the thing is said in France, which is you know where it comes from. And then there's like the Creole version, right? Like the Deep South. Which I, I think is a whole version. different world. Really? Yeah, I, I think Ben Stockwell looked this up a while ago. Like, I think he might pronounce it the way like the Creole version is, which is some sort of weird hybrid of like et, the the two of them. So it's Etienne. Just looked it up. Okay, it's Etienne. Well, I'm I'm more than happy to go with that because that's the way it's supposed to be said. Um, so my concern: what if college coaches coming to the NFL is always an interesting thing, right? Because yeah. it's a different world in terms of the people you're dealing with. There's no, I mean, recruitment is a part of the NFL, but it's not the way it is in college, right? Where it's like your whole world for half the year. Um, what if Urban Meyer just gets it wrong, right? Just the way he deals with people, players, you know, treats it like college. That, that, like there's, there were reports, rumblings that the Tim Tebow stuff pissed a lot of people off, right? Like the, the same people were pissed off over Twitter in terms of like, why are we giving this guy... 33 years of years of age who never played the position why are we giving him a, a roster spot right the people inside the building were equally pissed off for similar reasons like why yeah. this guy hasn't earned this shot why are we giving it to him like what if his whole thing just ends up like that where he just goofs several like just relationship things right the way you treat nfl players versus college players and it doesn't pan out because of that yeah I do think that is part of the reason I said inexperience I think that it's not just the football field that's on the sideline like Urban Meyer needs to obviously prove some people wrong in some ways there's some people Mike Renner on our podcast said he was it was the best coaching hire of the offseason which was yeah I disagree with I don't think it was the best coaching hire of the offseason I think Sala and and um Staley I think those are better you know obviously guys with NFL experience so I do think that the inexperience is going to show up. Like, this team is not going to be, you know, well executing out of the gate. And I you know they're playing Travis Etienne at wide receiver. Like, we don't. That's going to if be that was the decision, if the decision was we want Kadarius Tony, because I don't know if you've read the reports that they wanted Kadarius Tony. And they said, man, let's go get the other guy that could be Kadarius Tony. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's not, that's a receiver, not Travis Etienne. And I know I was, I talked about Travis Etienne's pass pass catching skills yeah. he's a good pass catching back a guy that's improved a ton at clemson but there were better receivers on right well this there. is like the christian mccaffrey thing right it's like christian mccaffrey might be the best receiving back in the nfl certainly one of them and i think he could play slot receiver if that was his only job but could he do it as well as an elite could he do it as well as cole beasley who was one of the best slot receivers could he do as well as Rashad bateman right so this is the thing it's like when you look at the data, the data says that targets to running backs are a bad idea, even if you're having them run receiver patterns because they don't run them as well as receivers. Yeah. And NFL defenses, as much as we like to think that you split a receiver, or you split a running back out there and the whole defense shits itself and they don't know what to do and they get burned, they don't. Like, it doesn't happen. That's not always the You case. remember when it happens because it's a linebacker and he, you know, he falls over and it's clumsy and it's a 50-yard gain and blah, blah, blah. But it, it doesn't actually happen as much as you think it does. They're actually pretty good at dealing with that. So there was that other report, too, that said that Trevor Lawrence is not doing handoffs at rookie minicamp because of his shoulder. 
So I do think that's part of it. Like he's not not running at running right. back. So I do think that he's moving into the receiver because like what else is he going to do? He's not going to run running back in that offense with the rookie minicamps. But it is an interesting thing. Um, and I, there's definitely a way where that doesn't all pan out quickly. All right, Tennessee, last team in the AFC South. So I, I put losses in free agency. I do think that they were another one of those teams that took a lot of hits, man. Like they cut both their starting cornerbacks, Adoree Jackson and Malcolm Butler, losing Corey Davis, losing Jonu Smith. And like this receiving core, I know they had it Josh Reynolds, but still, like this is – there are some concerns with this receiving core. And while Ryan Tannehill has played super well, incredibly well since, you know, getting away from Adam Gase and Derrick Henry, arguably a top five back in the NFL, maybe not arguably, definitely a top five back in the NFL, there are concerns with the pass rush concerns with the receiving core and now the secondary there this roster which was i think maybe two years ago or even last year one of the better rosters is significantly worse than it was the year prior you're banking on Tannehill, derrick henry being your guys like th- these are the guys yeah they're banking on them being the guys in tennessee that lead them into a deep postseason run and i just think they're running out of help there yeah. even adding caleb farley which we loved elijah molden out of washington one of the best slot cornerbacks in this class i still think that those are rookies you know, rookies don't fill needs out of the gate. Caleb Farley also battling. Particularly in the second. Yeah, Caleb Farley also battling injury. Like, I do think there are a lot of concerns with this roster, and I don't know if Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, as big as he is, can shoulder that load. Yeah, I think that's – it's like, how did you get better, I think is the problem. Like, yeah. we've seen for the last couple of years, Tennessee has a, a ceiling. They have a level. And when they run up against the best teams in the NFL in the postseason – they, where Derrick Henry can't be the guy, where you have to throw in all those things. It's right, or, or he can, but, you know, it doesn't happen or whatever. Like, it's just a – you reach a team where suddenly they're better than everybody else, and you need to raise your game, and they haven't been able to do that. And you look at what they've done this offseason, you're like, well, did you, did you, did you solve that issue? And it, they don't appear to have. So I think their problem is just – like, the reason for pessimism is they haven't gotten better from the level that they've yeah. – like, the glass ceiling they're still going to be banging their heads against next year. Uh, AFC West, Denver. Denver. Starting with Denver here, I put the flip of the coin. I don't know if you saw that flip report. The coin. That report from uh, Vic Fangio said for his quarterback, the starting quarterback, he's flipping a coin to see who that starts. That's like the first rep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First rep. Yeah, whatever. He said it's, they're giving him 50% of the reps. Yeah. Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater are getting 50% of the reps. It's a competition. That's the reason for pessimism. If you have a quarterback competition between Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, <laughs> your team is not Super Bowl competitive. I'm yeah. sorry. Like that, whoever wins. It could be Teddy. It could be Drew Locke. It doesn't matter. This team is going to be limited by the quarterback position as it has been for the past five since Peyton Manning. Yes. Left. Like that is the right. reason you, and I, I brought this up a handful of times on the two point drafts podcast. If Vic Fangio catches any flack for the state of this team over the past two, three years, it'd be absolutely absurd. Yeah. He has done incredible work with that defense. What he's done specifically in the secondary, this off season is awesome. And I think he's going to, it's going to be a very good defense. Vaughn Miller coming back from injury, all these things. There's a lot of reasons to be positive about the defense offensively. Whether, regardless of whether it's Drew Locke or Teddy in, in 2021, this team is not going to be good enough, not only to compete in the AFC West, but to compete in the AFC and NFL overall. Yeah, I mean, that's the bottom line is they don't have a quarterback right now. Yeah. Um, and now, know. after, like, this is the funniest thing. You know, there's nobody, Denver Broncos fans were banging the table for Drew Locke ahead of this past season, and they were still banging the table ahead of this year until probably up <laughs> to this point where Teddy Bridgewater was traded for, and now he's competing for the starting job. Yeah. And they're paying him, like, $3 million. Like, you're now like this whole all this development that you've dumped into Drew Locke is toast. His when confidence look, is worse. When you look at this offseason, you're like Denver might be the most quarterback desperate team in the NFL, right? Like maybe Chicago. And they passed of, on Justin Fields. Yeah, and they didn't. They, well, not just that, they passed on everybody. Like they didn't. They don't appear to have been a, as aggressive in chasing quarterbacks as we thought they would be, and as some other teams have been. 
And now you're like, well, have they put all of their eggs in the Aaron Rodgers basket? Or have they literally decided that, you know what? Maybe Drew Locke, maybe there's one more year in Drew Locke. Like maybe, look, if you look at Josh Allen, it was year three. Year three with Josh Allen. This is going into year three of Drew Locke, even though like his total playing time right now is about one year's worth of play. But you can, there are things in his play where you can look at it and say, he has a really high rate of big-time throws, right? There's high-end plays there. He doesn't have the rushing threat that Josh Allen does. He has a good arm. It's not a Josh Allen arm. But, like, you can – if you're desperate enough, you can talk yourself into a way yeah. where you say, this is Drew Locke's year. Now, making it a 50-50 competition with Teddy Bridgewater doesn't help that. Shows but you how, how confident they're thinking exactly. it's this year. So, it, it, it doesn't – like, you can just about convince yourself that there's a breakout year waiting for Drew Locke. The fact that he's in a competition with Teddy Bridgewater runs directly contrary to that, so it's not something you could be confident in. But, like, unless that happens, the Broncos are screwed, regardless of how good this roster is, and it's a really good roster. I mean, there are three teams that passed on Justin Fields for second-round investments in the quarterback position. Denver and Drew Locke, Carolina and Sam Darnold, the second-round pick trade for, and then the Eagles with Jalen Hurts. Passing on top-tier quarterback talents like Justin Fields for second-round investments is is malpractice, in my opinion. I do not think that's a good decision. Den- I- Denver, certainly. I think Carolina had probably just given up so much that they were going with Darnold. Like they, it was predetermined, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like They had already decided Which is that, so unfortunate, by the way. Yeah, it is. But that, but the problem I have with that is that like the, your decision on Darnold was screwy, not yeah, yeah, necessarily yeah. your the decision. The decision on Teddy was screwy. That, yeah, that's the, the $33 Teddy million dollars guaranteed put them in the hole. Like that, that's sort the reason of, they got but screwed. I think, but Teddy, I think, played way worse last year than you would have expected him to play in that offense. I think that actually wasn't a terrible call in terms of he should have been way better. Like his baseline in terms of PFF grade is like eight points higher. And that was the best situation in terms of an offensive system that he's ever been in. So Teddy Bridgewater should have been putting in like an 80 grade for them. Didn't. And if he had, we wouldn't even be thinking about this. They'll have like, they'd have drafted a potential replacement. Teddy Bridgewater would have one more year of like a bridge deal. And then they'd be getting rid of him. But it was like, dude, he was so bad. We had to get rid of him, throw stuff at Sam Darnold as a reclamation product. Like, so I don't hate the Teddy deal. I don't like the Darnold thing, but I think at that point they were already like pot committed to Darnold and weren't going to make a quarterback. Yeah. Similarly, I think Philadelphia had like predetermined that this is like a two quarterback strong class. We really love, obviously Trevor Lawrence is the shit. We really love Zach Wilson. And after Zach Wilson, we're out and we'll roll the dice next year. We'll have multiple first round picks. We'll be in position to get a quarterback next year if it doesn't pan out. And we're willing to at least give Jalen Hurts the chance to prove that he isn't a guy. Denver's the one that I just don't understand. Like, you don't have a quarterback. You know you don't have a quarterback. That's why you're having this open competition with Teddy. And you actually had one drop into your lap. Two of them, in fact. Mac Jones, if you count as well. You had a shot at two of them. You're telling me neither of those guys is a, is a reasonably sure upgrade over Makes no sense. your competition? That one I, I really don't get. I mean, the reason for optimism is the potential that they get Aaron Rodgers. Like, that's it. Yeah. Like, I mean, if, they, if, they, if that and, was And the, the fact reason, that if they do, that roster is great. Yes. The pessimism is if you don't get Aaron Rodgers, what are you doing at quarterback? Yeah. Um, Kansas City. Kansas City, I said everything but Mahomes. <laughs> <laughs> everything but Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill. Okay. I do think that there's obviously some other people. Like, Tyron Matthews good. I, I think that obviously you – know, um, the cornerback, Legere Sneed, played well last year. But I still think, like, regardless, they're big three, and that's reflected in how much they pay these guys. Yeah. Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill. And then Frank Clark is the highest-paid non-quarterback in the NFL next year. But he has obviously not played well. I do think that if 
Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill play as expected next year, it still might not be enough, as we saw with Tampa Bay. Like, the offensive line needs to stay healthy. Defensively, like, while the secondary has made do with Traverius Ward, Lejarius Sneed, Tyron, uh, Tyron Matthews is obviously a big investment, but they've made do with low-level investments at corner. How long can that continue, especially with the pass rush outside of Chris Jones not panning out? Like, they need to step up everywhere else. And I think they need to step up specifically on those rookie contracts. Willie Gay, Nick Bolton drafted this year. Lejarius Sneed needs to continue to have success. And then, obviously, they improved the offensive line, but I still think it lacks depth. I still don't love where they're at at, at tackle. I think the Kansas City Chiefs, man, if Mike Mahomes is a superhero, Mahomes is the reason you're a Super Bowl favorite, but your roster still isn't good, and how much longer are you going to have him making up for so many different holes in this roster? What if also injuries hit like exactly. the, the Chiefs have avoided injuries largely with those guys I mean Mahomes obviously gotten nicked up a few times but Travis Kelsey Tyreek Hill those guys have been okay and because of that the depth behind them hasn't been a massive problem one of those guys goes down like now you've got some issues now we get to see what happens with Mahomes in that offense if he doesn't have Tyreek Hill and Travis That's Kelsey very true if you get hurt one of the big three gets hurt it's bad that's really bad, bad. news <laughs> really bad news um so I think that's their obvious reason Chargers Chargers, I have – oh, man, I'm going to make some people upset here. What are you doing? Justin, Justin Herbert regression. So I do think Justin Herbert – here's what I'll say. I think I tweeted this out like a couple <laughs> months ago, whatever. Justin Herbert played really well in a lot of unstable, volatile areas of play. Yes. Third downs, red zone, under pressure. That is bound for regression, mathematically. But he's also due for some positive regression – it, from a clean pocket in these things. He's going to get better. Like He was one of the lowest-graded passers from a clean pocket last year. No one brings that up, and the main account doesn't tweet that out because it'd be absurd because it's just like, not, like, I mean, you don't want to do any Justin Herbert slander publicly right now. Justin Herbert last year was a bottom-five passer in terms of clean pocket passing grade last year. That needs to get better, and it can't, has to get significantly better because when you account for that regression in those unstable areas, he's going to be you know a different quarterback. I do think that Justin Herbert has far outplayed the expectation that a lot of people had including our own and I think he's going to be a better quarterback than we thought regardless of where this regression hits but it's very similar to the Josh Allen conversation how much how much of regression do we see does Justin Herbert fall back a lot and this offense takes massive steps backward that would be not great or is it slight and he does improve in those more stable areas and you see a still very good offense is still a very good Justin Herbert I think how Justin Herbert enters year two and how he plays is going to be super important because the expectations are sky high. Oh, he added yeah. along the offensive line. The receiving core is still really good. Like He should be really good next year. Yeah. If he isn't, that's going to be the concern. I really like the fact that they've done a lot, a lot around him to help that. Right. So highest PFF grade in the NFL while under pressure. But you know that's not stable. That yeah. comes down. It does, the same guy is not the top of that list every single Derek year. Derek Carr was that one year. Yeah, it's a, it's a massively random almost statistic. So what do we do to fix that if he comes down next year? Well, we put him under less pressure. So we overhaul the offensive line. My area of concern is not so much that Justin Herbert gets worse because I think he'll regress in certain areas, but I think he might improve in other areas and kind of balance out. I think it will balance out. It's what if everything you did on the offensive line doesn't work again? Because they've done this before, yeah, right? Yeah. It's not like this is the first time the Chargers have thrown resources at the offensive line. That offensive line has just been like constructed on an Indian burial ground. It's just it's where offensive lines go to die. What if everything they did doesn't work again, and suddenly it's like you didn't fix anything, and Justin Herbert's still under the same amount of pressure and gets worse doing it? There's no reason to think it should happen. I, I love everything they did. I think uh, Slater, Corey Lindsley, Matt Filer, Brian Bulaga gets back healthy. Like I really like the potential but I've said that before 
and it could easily go south again. It could. I mean, remember when they drafted Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney? Yeah. They were like, oh, man, it. they're retooling this right. interior. It's going to be great. And then those guys never panned Neither out. Neither of them. It's, I mean, Rashawn Slater, I love what they did with the draft. Their Agreed. first two picks were home runs. Rashawn Slater, obviously, at twenty, uh, the, the first-round pick. And then uh, Asante Samuel Jr., one of the steals of day two. Like, they've done a lot of the right things. I definitely still think it hinges, though, on the development of Justin Herbert. Like, how much better does it get? And yeah. does it get better in the right areas? Like, if he's still this unstable, volatile quarterback that's still not positive for the future. Like, he needs to be a top 15 great passer from a clean pocket next year. Needs to take significant strides because he has every reason to. All right, Las Vegas Raiders. I said, similar to Kansas City here, I said everything but Derek Carr and Darren Waller. This roster is bad. The offensive line somehow got worse this past year, obviously moving on from Gabe Jackson and um, uh, Rodney Hudson. Like, this Mm -hmm. team lost pieces along the offensive line. And I think Derek Carr and Darren Waller are the two best players on this team, and that's a problem. Like, that's the problem. The defense is a no-name defense that will be learning a new scheme this year. And offensively, you need significant development from the receiving core. You lost your best receiver last year in Nelson Aguilar. Like, I think Derek, Waller, Derek Carr and Darren Waller can only take this team so far. Derek Carr and Darren Waller can bring this team to seven wins next year, six, seven wins next year. But that by itself does not make you Super Bowl competitive. This defense needs to take significant strides, and I just don't see it happening. Like, they have failed to develop any of the young players on that defense. Trayvon Mullen. Damon Arnett, Jonathan Abram, Cleveland Furl, Max Crosby is probably their best defensive pick over the past few years, and even he isn't like a legitimate difference maker for yeah. this team. So a lot of concerns with the state of the overall roster for the Las Vegas Raiders, but at least they have Derek Carr and Darren Waller. I mean, I think there's also the potential that Derek Carr plays worse. I mean, Derek True. Carr's always had, that potential. The last couple of years have been good, and they've been getting better. And last year in particular was the best year he'd had since that 2016 season where he looked like he was going to be yeah. phenomenal going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but as you said, the offensive line is probably going to be worse next year. There's just no guarantee that Derek Carr is going to be as good next year. And if he isn't, everything looks a lot worse. So I that would be rough. That would be a imagine rough that being a draw of the cards. If yeah. The Raiders, with how good they were last year, which wasn't even good, but with how good they were last year, if Derek Carr doesn't even play to the level he was last year, man, that again, they need to blow it up. But they've needed to blow it up since Sean Gruden got there. And they've done, <laughs> they've done a lot of rebuilding everywhere but the quarterback position. And that makes things difficult. When you have all that money tied to the quarterback position, it's hard to actually rebuild because so much of your salary cap is given to Derek Carr. Well, also when you keep massively overdrafting players and swinging them. Yeah, yeah. Your Their draft strategy also picks. hasn't been good. Yeah. Um, little break to tell you about our DraftKings deal here. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to lower the over-under on a feature playoff game. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right. For every 1,500 players who bet the over on a selected game, the over-under will drop by one point. DraftKings is a safe, secure, and reliable uh, betting platform. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to hammer the over. For every 1,500 people that bet the over in a feature game, the line will decrease by one point. This is your chance to improve the odds of the overhitting. So tell your friends and family this is a team effort. Hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money. That's promo code PFF for a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or over, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. Maximum $25 wager, one per customer. Offer ends 5-23-21. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Uh, we've got to fire through the NFC now. Yeah, we, are, we, uh, we spent dragging. some time on the AFC. <laughs> we did. Uh, NFC East. 
Where are we going first? Cowboys. Cowboys. All right. Uh, the defense is still bad. <laughs> I do think that I'm, I'm really excited for this offense. I, I loved what Dak Prescott did before the injury last year. CeeDee Lamb entering year two. I'm one of the biggest Amari Cooper fans at the company. Like I, at The offensive line is still good. Uh, we added that new filter to ultimate, knockdown percentage. How often an offensive lineman is knocked down. Okay. Only tackle that wasn't knocked down last year, Tyron Smith which is interesting. Hmm. But I do think that um, in pass protection specifically, I do think that uh, the offensive line is good. The offense is not where the concerns are. It's just like defensively, while they did add some pieces there, it's still, I think, in the running to be a bottom 10 unit next year. Like it's not a good defense. I do think that as good as Dak Prescott can be, and we always lean offense, 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 score more than the other opponent. If the defense is still holding this team back significantly, that obviously puts a cap on just how well they can do. Yeah, I think the defense will take a pretty big step forward because I think a lot of what was wrong last year was, you know, schematic issues and young players and all these kinds of things. I wonder, like, what if that offensive line is just done in terms of its time at the top? You know, Dallas had the best offensive line in the NFL a while ago. Now, like, the only holdover from that group is Zach Martin and then the ghost of Tyron Smith. Like, I know you said the guy's not been knocked down last year, but, like, when was the last time Tyron Smith played at his best over a full season? Um, it's been a while. Like, suddenly that group on paper, it's just not great. Connor Williams, Tyler Biotish at center, Lyle Collins coming back. I just – there's definitely a, a scenario where this offensive line is not good next year. And I think this the offensive line has been the platform for a lot of that That'd team success. Also, you know, Dak's injury, I mean, like if he comes back and isn't 100% or isn't the same guy, that could be an issue. Uh, jump to the New York Giants. New York Giants. Uh, put Daniel Jones progression. This is it, man. This is the year. Like they tried to add, obviously, offensively to to make some plays, adding Kenny Galladay and Frenzy. I do. I, Andrew Thomas needs to take a step forward. But if Daniel Jones and I think Seth Galina is writing a piece for PFF.com this week about like if he can't find ways to create more explosive plays and limit the turnovers, he is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. Like he has had as many picks and fumbles in his career as he's had games played like he is averaging like a turnover a game and not and he's not like the Jameis Winston of that like Jameis Winston threw 30 picks but also threw a ton of touchdowns and a ton of passing yards because he's like a roller coaster Daniel Jones is like constant low end right now like he's super conservative and still finding ways to turn the football over that is you can't win playoff games with that kind of quarterback he needs to take a step forward and I think everyone goes back to you remember that game against Tampa Bay where he comes in and he wins that one from behind and all that mm -hmm. stuff. That is, to this day, since 2006, the highest-graded single game by a quarterback under pressure. Hmm. It's, it's, to this day, most passing yards we've ever seen under pressure as well in a single game. Most volatile stat we have. You called it random at a certain point, and it is. Like, that That like small highlight in Daniel Jones' career is, I think, what everyone's clinging to <laughs> with Daniel Jones. And I know this last year. I've said this before. He played better than I expected, but it's still not enough. Like, Daniel Jones yeah. needs to be legit. If this team's going to be good, see, I actually, I kind of like Daniel Jones. Uh oh, I, I think you're right. He, part of that is because he outperformed what I expected of him. Right? True. So my, you know, the, your expectations have been slightly different. My bigger concern is that, like, I agree that Jones probably has a level and is one of those quarterbacks that needs some help. And I think they've done a pretty good job of assembling a receiving core around him. Slayton, Kenny Galladay in free agency. Like John Ross is worth a punt in terms of a like this guy runs a four two four. Let's see if there's a space for that in the offense. Kadarius Tony I like as an option, though I'm not 100 percent sure where it fits year one. But there's weapons now. My concern is look at that offensive line, and that is still not a good group. Like okay, let's say Andrew Thomas takes a jump forward in year two. They have to rework the guy's 
technique in year one. It was going to take some time. He actually wasn't bad in the second half of the season outside of games where he had to face us on Redick. But look at the rest of it. Like, that's that's a starting five that's not in good shape. And if the line is garbage, then Daniel Jones has no shot. Their interior offensive line was, like, one of the worst in the NFL right. last year. and it hasn't was, gotten and better and on paper. Exist. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's how bad it was. And hasn't gotten better on paper. So I think that is the big concern for the Giants. Is I don't know what they're going to do with the tackles. Like, you have Andrew Thomas. You draft him in the first round. First tackle taken. Like, you have to play him a tackle. Nate Solder coming back from the opt-out. Then you have this, like, project in Matt Peart. But, like, Matt Peart's almost too tall to play into your offensive line. I don't know if Solder starts. Like really? That. You think Peart starts? Yeah. Like, what's what's the point in Nate Solder at this stage? Like, he's I wonder if Nate back. Solder can kick in. But they have such tall Just Nate Solder's, like, nine foot I tall. Know, like, I, I can't play guard. Because, like, the interior offensive line needs fucking help, you yeah. know? Like, someone needs to make a play. Yeah, I, that, that's my concern, is that regardless of Daniel Jones, a dude just doesn't have a shot because of the and, offensive and line. And you talk about a quarterback that struggles under pressure, yeah. Daniel Jones. Philly. Jalen Hurts progression. So I do think that this team is in a very good place to be drafting top three next year. I think the Texans and Lions are going to be in a really good place to be going one, two. <laughs> but the Eagles, man, defensively, not a good team. Offensively, not a good team. Like this, this team needs a lot of help. And Devontae Smith, the addition, great. Love that. I don't know if I necessarily love the trade up for it, but whatever. Jalen Hurts isn't good. This team isn't good. And they're drafting a quarterback in the top three. That's a fact. Like in Jalen Hurts, even though like there there were some signs of life, yeah, it wasn't a life I wanted. You know, it's like it's <laughs> it's it's not the signs of life. Like his his selling point was this isn't Carson Wentz, right? Yeah, like that was why everybody that is got excited. True. Yeah, it was yeah. like Jalen Hurts comes in immediately. There's some signs of life, and it's like, oh great, look, Wentz isn't here anymore. The things the are problem things was are that they were literally dead on the ground, and like yeah. you saw like a random right. heart palpitation, like a like, twitch. Oh my god, there there might be something there. Twitch. It's like it's wait alive. a second, it kind of sucks. Yeah. Still. like it's still nothing good. So I do think. Jalen Hurts could prove a lot of people wrong by lighting it up next year. And I think the Eagles are kind of like, hey, if that happens, let's do it. But And they're going to try to put him in a position to do that. However, I think it's unlikely that he does meet those expectations so much that it's a team that's drafting in the top five and it's a team that's taking a quarterback in 2022. Yeah, and even if they're not or if they're not drafting in the top five, they're going to have the extra first-round pick. They're going to have the ammunition True. to go get the quarterback Which is a super want. smart trade down by them. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly like once they decided – Zach Wilson's the only other quarterback we like. He's not going to be available. Let's get out. That, yeah. I don't hate that strategy at all, even though it leaves you with Jalen Hurts for this year. I agree. He's their reason for pessimism. If he doesn't take a massive step forward, this team is not going particularly far. All right, Washington. So I put the bottom of the Ryan don't Fitzpatrick roller coaster. dare talk about <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think Taylor Heineke starts games for this team. Come on. I think Taylor Heineke starts games for this team. I think when? they're going to go, they're going to swap in some Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick could get hurt. I think it could get ugly. Ryan Fitzpatrick, of all the quarterbacks How many bad year, games do they give him? So let's say random Ryan Fitzpatrick roller coaster, weeks two, three, he plays like crap. I think it could be as low as one game if he one throws like game. four picks in a game. God. You could see it. You could see Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing like four picks Wait, in a so game. You think they'll th bench him in that game or the next game? Like they'll just say, okay, you're not going back in next week. Uh, it's hard to say. I think it could happen in that game. Four picks in like three quarters and that defense is playing well. I think they could bench him. And Heineke was like a fan favorite last yeah. year. I mean, obviously, Dude, like, that guy had the highest grade of the playoffs. I mean, he was awesome. So I do think that, you know, this team, I'm so surprised that they did not make a similar move as Chicago to go up and get a QB. Because like I just, I, I think, I, well, for a start, I didn't think they, when they started making their moves, I don't think they expected the quarterbacks to fall as far as they true. did. Remember at that time. Same with Carolina. I don't think Carolina yeah. thought that. Yeah, but but the difference is like what they did with the yeah. <laughs> Carolina did it and we're like, all right, so we got to go get Darnold. <laughs> uh, the Washington did it and we're like, well, let's give Fitzpatrick a call. He's actually a pretty good player. I like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
remember at the time, like Adam Schefter's like these quarterbacks are going in the top six, like five in the exactly. top six. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think I don't hate them thinking we just didn't have a shot at this. And then at the point where they did have a shot at it, they already made all their moves and committed. And I'm, I don't hate that. I think what they did is smart. Like if you don't have a shot at a good quarterback, Brian Fitzpatrick's the guy you call. Yeah. Brian Fitzpatrick over the last three years has a top half PFF grade. Now it's 15th, so it's just top I half. I love the but, top half. <laughs> but it's top half, right? And he's like you're surrounding him with the best op, like position he's been in. You've got a pretty good offensive line. You just added receiving weapons. You've got the Love best the addition defense. Of Charles Leno. Yeah, you just added the best defense he's ever had. So this is like as good as Ryan Fitzpatrick can be expected to play. If he doesn't, if he goes in the tank this year, I'm going to be so sad. The, I don't think like, he goes in the tank ultimately, but I think that again, it's this podcast is the fatal flaw, the reason yeah, yeah. for reason for pessimism. Like yeah. this off this roster is good. Like it defensively, is really it's, good. It's awesome. I think offensively, adding Curtis Samuel, you have Terry McLaurin, who's been one of my favorite receivers since he was drafted. Like you said, offensive line is good. It's just like Ryan Fitzpatrick has to be good. If yeah, you like want the Achilles good. heel is there is the potential for bad Fitzpatrick, yes. and if that guy shows up, the whole there's thing been is the toast. potential for bad Fitzpatrick since he was drafted. Always, there's <laughs> a, you're only ever like two games away from bad Fitzpatrick. That is the problem with you know, that's why he isn't you know an yep. elite starting quarterback. So yeah. If Fitzpatrick doesn't play well, then everything they've done is for nothing, and that's just a sad space to be. NFC North, Chicago. The reason for pessimism for Chicago is Matt Nagy's latest quote saying Andy Dalton is our starter. <laughs> that is that is why. Like I put it another way of phrasing it is you know Justin Fields' ability to see the field. Like if he if you know if if Andy Dalton is starting, this team isn't going to be good. Like that's a fact. There's a reason they trade up for Justin Fields. Like this team's not going to be good enough to go the distance. If Justin Fields starts to see the field, I don't know why I keep saying field and field, but I do think that that is what matters, man. And I do think Mike has this kind of harebrained tinfoil hat theory that Nagy and Pace might sit fields all of year one to all bank on this one? to bank on this optimism of 2022 <laughs> to buy them an extra year to keep year. <laughs> their jobs. I, I, it's not crazy. It's not crazy. Like they go the Mahomes route where Mahomes only played yeah. one game as a rookie. You they can't fire us this year. The rookie hasn't it's played like, yet. Have you seen Justin Fields in practice? Yeah. We should send you some of these videos. We don't want to play them yet, but wait till year two. And honestly, I could <laughs> see it. I could see it. Obviously, you'd like to see Justin Fields play in year one and see what you have in Fields. But if they do go that route, one, the team's not going to be that good. Defensively, obviously, there's some pieces there. There's a reason they were drafting in the 20s. But yeah. um, I don't think they're going to be that good with Andy Dalton. And I think he has a ceiling that is so obvious. We know what Andy Dalton is. Like, there is no Ryan Fitzpatrick to his game. Like, we know exactly what Andy Dalton is, and it's just not good enough. Yeah, and particularly, like, this again, the situation around him isn't good enough. for Like, we were saying last year, hey, Andy Dalton might not be bad because look at the receivers he's got to throw to in Dallas. And, you know, but the offensive line fell apart, and then Dalton fell apart. The Chicago Bears, you look at that offense, okay, they've got Allen Robinson – but and you know Darnell Mooney was a nice piece, but isn't like isn't no one can hit him, right? And isn't necessarily <laughs> like an elite number two that's going to elevate everybody. You know the quarterback. He's a slot vertical threat. Yeah. So the receiving group is limited. The offensive line is not great on paper. Like I I like trading. I like getting Tevin Jenkins. I think that was a really important move. I don't quite understand why you then go and release Charles Leno. No, like I don't get that either. He's I, good. Yeah. Or at very minimum, he's like a player you don't need to worry about. Mm-hmm. Charles Leno always starts bulletproof and he's pretty good Tevin Jenkins can play right tackle now you've got two good spots instead yeah, now you're gonna have to move Jenkins to the left instead you got to move him to the left your right tackle is a question mark like the whole thing is just there's the potential for that offensive line to fall apart pretty quickly and I also think as much as we love Justin Fields and he was you know a high-end prospect and I think the flaw that teams are scared of of Fields is real 
and has the potential to be a bigger problem in the NFL than it was in college. This idea of he holds onto the ball too long, and I've been trying to articulate what the thing is. that I, There are players, I saw it referred to in soccer recently as um, press-resistant, right? So in soccer, one of the like uh, tactics uh, a team that doesn't have the ball will do is you press the opposition, right? Put them under pressure, harry them, and people tend to make bad mistakes when they're pressured. Like why, a full-court press. And yeah, basketball. yeah. It's why like when you're under pressure as a quarterback, your passer rating goes through the floor because everybody just makes worse decisions when you're pressured. But there are players that I saw termed as press-resistant, where no matter how much you harry them, it just doesn't seem to bother them. They're always able to like turn the other way. They don't look under pressure, and they deliver a pass, and it's never an issue. Feels, I think, as the opposite of that, right? Yeah. He is not press resistant. He's like press susceptible, press whatever it is. Like things go wrong when he's hurried or when things are different to what he expected them to be. And just that's why he holds onto the ball too long. That's why when you blitz him, things go wrong and it takes him longer. And just that thing. Now, it didn't really matter in college, right? Because it didn't happen often enough. And he was good enough at everything else that he still graded in the 90s. So yeah. who gave crap, right? But in the NFL, that's the kind of thing that can be a bigger problem. I don't know if it will be. that like he, he still might be good enough at everything else that it's not an issue. And he ends up on the Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson end of the spectrum where he's always going to take too many sacks, but he makes Watson so many too. good plays. Yeah, but he makes so many good plays that you just don't care, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a flaw that you're happy to live with. I think the on-the-field comp to Watson's good. Yeah, or it could drag him down, and he ends up more on the – Jacoby Brissett, Tyrod Taylor into the spectrum where it's like the thing that you're bad at is too big a problem now. And even though every now and again you make some good plays and you're efficient, it's just it's not enough. So there's definitely a place where the thing that caused him to slide is actually a real problem. I'm going to put the tinfoil hat back on. You lose lose Charles Leno. You're like, oh, you're telling ownership, hey, we're starting a rookie at left tackle. He hasn't even played left tackle. You want us to play Justin Fields this year? No way. Yeah. We're not playing Justin Fields. We're going to play Andy Dalton and let us see 2022. <laughs> let us see 2022 and see what we can do with him. All right, Detroit. Detroit. So I took a different approach here. Okay. It could have been easy to say that this roster sucks and like everything's bad about it. Whoa. I said biggest reason for pessimism is Jared Goff because he's not that bad oh. and he could – Put them play in a position well where, enough. Yeah, he could play well enough to where they're not like in drafting inside the top three or the top five. Like the, okay. it's gotten to the point where Jared Goff is underrated. underrated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I definitely think that's true. Like Jared Goff, I still think is a top twenty-five passer in the NFL. Yeah. Call me crazy. And like people are treating him like he's garbage. Like this, like yeah. this team it, it has gone too far. It's gone way too far. Like Jared Goff is not that bad. The receiving core is. We're also, I think, blaming Goff for all of the problems with the Rams and like not blaming Sean McVay. Exactly. Whose system like hasn't it hasn't kicked on the way Kyle Shanahan's has, right? It's it's stalled again. Team started to figure it out. I think he did evolve it, but it hasn't continued that that evol- evolution. And Jared Goff is the guy getting all the blame for it. I might say something crazy here. I think the Lions might surprise some people. <laughs> not not surprise some people in that they go to the playoffs or anything, but they could they they might not be drafting inside the top three. I mean, Jared Goff. Huh. I think the offensive line is good. Like Taylor Decker, Panay Sewell. We love Jonah Jackson coming out. They still have Frank Ragnow, who's now the highest paid center in the NFL. Yeah. Logan Stenberg, aka Mr. Nasty, coming out of Kentucky, entering year <laughs> yeah, two. This offensive line is good. The receiving core is a disaster, but let's not get into that. Jared Goff is not as bad as everyone thinks he is. Yeah. Dare I say they win five games? Six five games? games? Like, they yeah. could. A 17-game season? That's true. My 
biggest area. And that would suck for Detroit because they want Spencer Rattler. <laughs> right. Like they want a new they want a new quarterback. Obviously, like they, that Jared Goff's not the long term solution. But there is a chance that he wins enough games to where they're in a similar situation as Carolina and Denver, where they don't really know what to do. Yeah. What what if Dan Campbell is just too much of a cliche to be <laughs> successful? Right? Did you see he was on um, uh, the PMT? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I like I think he was playing up to it, right? Because that was kind of their shit. You know, football guy. Like, would you lose an arm for Super Bowl? That kind of thing. Yeah. But like, if like, everything he's done so far could easily be read into this idea of like comedy cliche, kneecap biting, trenches, old school, archaic dinosaur football mm-hmm. right and if, if if that's actually who he is you're pretty <laughs> the, like, the team's not going that far you know what i mean true there's only like yeah you're gonna get better because you added a bunch of good players in the trenches but if that's all you care about toughness and kneecap biting like you're not winning anything anytime soon i also like came away like actually really liking their draft like penesel yeah i love that pick i love it lee mcneil levi muzarike where they got him i thought was good value fatu melifanwu in the third was good value like yep. they've done some good things here agreed the receiving core is the scariest thing well that's like, like next year's problem that's yeah, the thing yeah, they were yeah. like houston right you too much too much to do in one off season we're gonna have to pick our battles and they yeah. did they, they went trenches next year we'll deal with the receiving core and we'll probably be dealing with quarterback as well because jared goff is unlikely to be the answer so i don't hate that you're right that's like a big weakness but i think one that they just accepted was going to be the case yeah all right green bay <laughs> aaron Rodgers' plans right i mean this is like if aaron Rodgers does not play in green bay next year they're screwed yes like, that's Bone. the fact of the like if aaron the ball's in his court in a lot of ways too like i, I do think that if Aaron Rodgers decides to retire, and the thing is, I don't, I don't see a way they piece it back together. Same, like he wants. He's already telling players that he's leaving. Like it's bad. Bur- and the thing is, it's kind of your fault. Right? Like, you, <laughs> you burned the bridge. You caused yep. it. Now I've seen people saying, like, do you really think it would have made a difference if they like given him a heads up that they were going to draft his replacement? Yes. A, yes, because Jared, he is ex- or Aaron Rodgers is exactly the kind of person that would get all bent out of shape over being surprised by that, right? He doesn't talk to his family. This is what I'm saying. This is a man <laughs> that holds a grudge over really insignificant things, and you're telling me there's no possible possibility that you being courteous and like giving him a heads up that, hey, I know you want a wide receiver in the first round, but we're actually thinking of your replacement, wouldn't have changed things. And B, like just the fact that you did that, right? I get why you did it. The guy had been declining, yeah. was still good, but had not been the player he was, and you thought, maybe we've reached the beginning of the end and this is what you do you start drafting for the future he can play this year and then next year we turn to jordan love and everything's good yeah but doing that because it's aaron Rodgers, essentially burned that bridge to the ground like you're not coming back from that and while rogers plays an mvp you're like oh great now we're in a great situation we've got jordan love still there and we extend rogers a little bit and we have a couple more years of amazing player he's like uh, no yeah like we no we're done with this you you cut this cord i'm out of here i also hated the decision to do that it regardless of how aaron Rodgers playing with the state of his contract because like jordan love can't couldn't right. like he couldn't come in in the two or three years time like aaron Rodgers is still untradeable by his cu- current contract settings like oh, settings that doesn't make any sense but like yeah, the way yeah. it's currently structured aaron Rod- like they can't get rid of him yeah. like that is tough man like i don't i don't understand i understand planning for the future but planning too in advance. You were like a year too Yeah, too you soon. Way, way too early. Like, yeah. you should have drafted a first-round receiver the only or ex- some help yeah. along the offensive like line The only or explanation for that is that they loved Jordan Love, right? And which they probably did, fine, which is great. But A, you need to be right. Yeah. And if you're not, everything you did was a mistake. And B, 
Now you like now you really need to be right. You can love Rogers a lot of things, but thing. like if you're incapable of like utilizing them or like right. seeing the field, like it doesn't make sense to do it. Yeah, and it's just again, it's like the all the data says that you're wrong to be that confident. Like people, yes, every team is not capable of that degree of gradation in terms of what separates an amazing quarterback from a really good prospect. Like you're able to tell that guy's a first rounder versus a fifth rounder, but you're not necessarily able to tell that he's the guy that we need to go crazy to go and get a year early and trading up and all those kinds of things. So, yeah, if they goofed on that, they're screwed. Yep. Uh, Minnesota. I put mediocrity. <laughs> good, just not good enough is another way I phrased it. Like, it's there's a lot to like about the Minnesota Vikings, including Kirk Cousins, including Dalvin Cook. I think the offensive line takes some positive steps, but I just don't, I still don't think they're good enough. Like, the Bucks are going to roll in the NFC. Yeah. I think it could be a slaughter. Like, I don't think it's going to come close to them getting the number one seed in the, in the postseason bye. Like, I, I don't think they're good enough. I think they're good, and that's it. And I don't see I don't see what gets better significantly. Like I don't see Kirk Cousins taking two steps forward. I don't see, you know, defensively them taking two steps forward. Like I don't see where the ceiling gets bigger. The ceiling they've hit it and they're going to consistently hit it and it's just not enough. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're in the right area. Like Kirk Cousins was brought in to be the quarterback that could win a championship if you had the 2017 Minnesota Vikings. Since the 2017 Minnesota Vikings, they haven't had that, and it's got worse pretty consistently across the board. They need, like, a massive step forward on the defense to get anywhere near that level. That's Where is that coming from? Right, that's probably not happening. I can see some steps forward. Danelle Hunter being back. Um, Cameron Dancer taking a step forward year two. Uh, I, like, I can see a world where that's a much better defense, but it's not going from where it was to the 2017 version, which was a, a top-five defense. So, yeah, I just – and offensive line might be better but again it's not going to be leaps and bounds better justin jefferson was already a top five receiver as a rookie he's unlikely to put that into the stratosphere so i kind of agree with you i think that their fatal flaws they're just not good enough yeah they're going to be good but not good enough it's like halfway shooting the moon you know it's like okay you got really close but it's just yeah like if green bay doesn't have rogers you're probably the favorites of the division but does anybody like your opportunity to win three playoff games Maybe one, like maybe you got. How many great... playoff games are even favored in? That's the That's thing. The thing. I always like, come back to that. Maybe you have one good game and you knock off somebody as an underdog, but three of them, no. Everyone likes it. to bring up this whole. I'm gonna get on a little tangent here. Everyone gets on this whole like any given Sunday thing. Like yeah. you just need to hit. Like it's like okay, but like think about like mathematical probabilities of this football team, the current state, how many playoff games would they be favored in? And if the answer is zero, you don't have a good enough quarterback. That's that's it. Like the best quarterbacks in the postseason and the any in given any Sunday football thing, game. Like that works for like regular season weeks, yes. right? Where any yes. given Sunday, the worst team in the NFL can knock off one of the best in a shock result that nobody saw coming yes. and blah, blah. The Raiders but, is 14 and a half point dogs against the Chiefs. <laughs> right. But A, it's a freak occurrence. That's why it's like talked about. B, it tends not to happen in the playoffs. And C, in order to do anything in the playoffs, you need to do that like three times yes. in a row, not three times in a season. So it's You don't just... build your team to look like the Eagles with Nick Foles. Okay? <laughs> you build your team to look like the Chiefs and the Bucks because they're going to be consistently competing for Super Bowls. Yeah, so I think the Vikings' biggest reason for depression or optimism is just that they're, they're not going to go anywhere. Biggest reason for team. depression? <laughs> like they, they are what they are, which is a pretty good team that's got a very defined ceiling and isn't heading in the right direction necessarily. All right, PFF has partnered with Symbol, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. 
The MLB is in full swing for the rest of the summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts. And NFL free agency is still going. So whether, uh, whoever lands a top-of-the-market player will be sure to see their team's stock rise. Use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at the symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. All right, what division are we in now? The NFC South, Atlanta. Atlanta, I put defense. I still think this defense isn't good. I think Atlanta's going to bounce back a ton. Like, of any team drafting in the top five, I really like their prospects. They're in a bad division. I mean, they're in a good division, and therefore, they're in a bad spot. I think the Bucs, like I said, roll in the NFC, including the NFC South. But I think defensively, it's still not a very good roster. Like, offensively, there's every reason for optimism. Matt Ryan is still good. Matt Ryan is still a top-ten quarterback in the NFL, period. Offensively, they add Kyle Pitts. If Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones can find ways to stay healthy, they should be putting up 30-plus points a game. Like That's how good this offense can be, and I love the changes they've made on the sideline. I think Arthur Smith is going to do a lot of positive things for this team, but like defensively, A.J. Terrell needs to take a step forward. I don't like their safeties with Jalen Hawkins and Eric Harris. Like def- Their pass rush isn't good. Like There's a lot of reasons for them to be giving up 30, 40 points a game as well. So I think it's going to ultimately be one of these teams that – is in a shootout every single week if, and that's if, injuries don't hit him on the offensive side of the ball, as we've seen with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley of late. Yeah, defense is not good. I think that's their biggest weakness. My biggest concern is what if they're just not able to utilize Kyle Pitts? Oh, don't say that. I just, look, I, I love Kyle Pitts. I think that guy is a freaking unicorn. I think he was the best player in the draft in terms of how just how high his ceiling is he was a genuine tweener in terms of that guy could play an x number one wide receiver role if that's all he did he could also play just a tight end in line role if that's all he did and he can do everything in between the problem with that is nobody knows how to use that nobody's ever had one of those before nobody there's no player that's like that has been in the nfl before so nobody has any freaking idea how you utilize that to the maximum effectiveness what if they just use him as like number two tight end? You, like his ceiling becomes Darren Waller, which is great, but it's not. It's not what he could be. I don't know if I like it. I don't know like where his head's at, man. Don't I just think bum he, me out. Have you seen him? In, so he's wearing the number eight jersey. Yeah, rookie minicamp, man. He kind of he makes cuts like receiver. I don't know, he man. He, like he's a legit I think, receiver. I think if they play him in the slot to the same rate, and play him in the slot or out wide to the same rate that Kelsey gets utilized. Yeah. Like Kelsey ran, I think, over two hundred twenty routes from the slot yeah. last year. Played some outside as well. Like, why can't he be better than Darren Waller? Why can't he be better than Travis? He Kelsey? can. I like, just think I, I think even that is like leaving meat on the bone. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I think I think Kyle Pitts plays to the level of those two guys sooner rather than later. Yeah, I agree. Defensively, though, it's a disaster. Yes. The, the defense is their biggest like, concern area. It's just it's Grady, Jarrett, it's Deion Jones, and then nothing. Yeah. Um, that's a problem. Carolina. So I've said this a lot. It's the quarterback stuff. It's like the progression of Sam Darnold. Like if Sam Darnold doesn't yeah, flip if, the switch. If Darnold is still Sam Darnold, they're it's screwed. Over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't I – mean, not only are they screwed, but they've like passed on an opportunity to grab Justin Fields, and now they're going to be. I don't think they're going to be as bad as Houston or as bad as Detroit next year. Yeah. So now, and this quarterback class, I know it's early. There's a lot of there's a lot that can change. Like it could be another quarterback class set where Malik Willis has a huge year out of yeah. Liberty. Keaton there might Slovis be a Zach like, Wilson yeah. coming down. Yeah, yeah. There might be a Zach Wilson coming down the pipe, or, or the Jaden Daniels kid out of Arizona State. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I do think 
Odds are it's not. <laughs> Odds are like it's Spencer Rattler or Bus, and there are even some concerns with Spencer Rattler that we yeah. don't have with Trevor Lawrence. A lot of people things. don't like Spencer. Yeah, Rattler. there's some off field with him too, where like his maturity and stuff like that you you see show up. In Name some alone though, you got to put him like number one, right? Exactly. Spencer exactly. Rattler. It sounds yeah. like a quarterback. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. So I do think not only is the Sam Darnold progression a huge concern, but if he doesn't pan out well, they're not going to be as bad as Houston or Detroit. They're not going to get a top quarterback prospect. Like the, it co- and I, I always bring this up. It comes back to the Teddy Bridgewater decision. Like, why did you – this team was not ready. Matt Rule all coming in, like a new coaching staff, this team was not ready for a quote-unquote bridge quarterback. It was ready to start Will Greer for a full year and get Trevor Lawrence. That was what it was ready for. It was ready to completely reset. Can you imagine if this team either had Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson? Yeah. We'd be talking completely different about the Panthers. Now they're trying to make Sam Darnold a thing. And if they don't and he doesn't pan out, they're going to be struggling to get a Sam Howell of UNC or Keen Slovis out of USC. Like they're going to be getting one of the second or third you know, best quarterback prospects, if that. Yeah, I, I, I still think that there was reasons to make the Teddy Bridgewater thing happen. I don't. The Darnold thing is has the potential to really screw them because they like they traded a pretty decent amount to get yeah. Sam Darnold, which means they are <laughs> and they're firmly, paying him a ton of money. Right, next year. they are firmly yeah they pick up his option, so they are firmly in the camp of Sam Darnold in the Jets was a product of the Jets, not of what Darnold can be. Right, he has been held back by Adam Gase and by the lack of talent around him, and actually he's still a top three overall uh, drafted quarterback. He's still a guy that can be amazing. But and so they've they've been bought into that idea, and they've given him the best receiving core probably he's ever had. They've given him a play caller that's dramatically better. Um, the offensive line is still really rough, though. I don't understand what they're doing on the offensive line. Like their left tackle right now is either Greg Little, who's been awful, uh, Cameron Irving, who's been awful in many different positions, yeah, multiple positions, and Brady Christensen, a third-round draft pick from BYU, who never really had to face anybody. Yeah. So we don't, and is like 28 years old. Um, not 28. What is he? 25. 24. He's older than Greg Little, by the way, like by a full <laughs> oh, wow. year. Um, so it's three guys, none of whom have got any kind of pedigree of starting at left tackle in the NFL. The, like the rest of the offensive line is not good either. It's Taylor Mouton and then four guys that aren't good. There are not a lot of reasons for optimism for the <laughs> Carolina Panthers. I like what they've done defensively. Like, I think they've added a lot of pieces there that I think are going to have, like, especially in year two, like Jeremy Chin, Derek Brown. I think Itra Gross Matos gets better. Like, I think they've done some things yeah. in the draft defensively that I've liked. Yeah. Offensively, Joe Brady is going to be a head coach soon. I think the forecast guys, George Shahuri and Eric Eager, talk about that a lot in that he gets a lot out of the offense he had. Robbie Anderson played well for them this past year. I think he's going to play well again. But Sam Darnold and this offensive line, from what we've seen, are bad. They're going to need to take steps forward if this team's going to be good. And even if Sam Darnold does play better than he away from Adam Gase, which, I mean, it's hard to play worse. Yeah. How much better does it get? Well, is here's it ever- the thing. The, the single worst thing that could happen for them is that Darnold plays just well enough for you to buy into the idea that he's a long-term solution. And it's 100% a product of Joe Brady and the receiving core. And Joe Brady will immediately get a head coaching job, leave, because look at what the job he just did with Sam Darnold. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that was the thing driving all this. Now you've committed to Sam Darnold, and he goes back to being terrible again because Joe Brady's out of the building. Now you're just screwed. Like, long-term, the whole thing has just gone to hell. I mean, there's a reason their GM was fired. Let's let's be real. Um, New Orleans. Jason Hinston. Jason Hinston. I think that the combination of the quarterbacks is just not like it's not good. Like I think there's right now a, a, a bet you can make on DraftKings Sportsbook um, for who's going to be the starter. I think Jameis Winston is the <laughs> minus two hundred. Like 
it's gonna it's not gonna be as good of an offense without Drew Brees, and that was a bad Drew Brees last year. Yeah. I don't think the New Orleans Saints, with as good as this roster is, and I, I, we've raved about their roster every single year. They've done a really good job drafting. They've hit on guys. Mickey Loomis always trades up and gets his guy, and they played well. But the quarterback position ultimately limits you, and it's not as bad as the Sam Darnold situation. But I would argue Tom Brady and Matt Ryan are better than both the both whoever starts in New Orleans, and for that reason, they're third fiddle in this division. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm. I'm selfishly really interested in seeing just what a Taysom Hill offense looks like as a, like a design thing. You know, yeah. they had to do it last year as a, in a pinch for a few games. Well, but I really want to see what that looks like as like, hey, we know going in, he's going to be the starting quarterback. Sean Payton gets to spend an entire offseason designing an offense around Taysom Hill's skill set for whatever that is. What does this thing look like? It'll I, be fun to watch. And I think it's, it's, it won't be bad. Like it's, Taysom Hill's not a great quarterback, and it certainly has limitations. But the offense won't suck. Like it, it's not going to be a complete train wreck. He's too good uh, as a rushing threat. He opens up a whole bunch of big plays. Like every single deep throw he's ever attempted has been like ten yards underthrown, but they're open. Like yeah. he creates that margin for error with those plays. So I'm kind of. I think you're right to have that as like the concern, the weakness. But I think it'll be the thing that stops them rivaling Tampa Bay. Yeah, and, yeah. It's not like it's it's not going to hold them back from being good. I think they'll still be a good team, and they'll their offense will be good. But when they run into the playoffs and the best teams there, they just they, they can't hang with the, with Tampa Bay without one of those guys having like an absurd game that you just can't see coming. Agreed. Tampa. Tampa. I put Tom Brady injury finally hits age. the wall. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, I mean, fuck. I'm not predicting that's going to happen, but I do think that the only thing because this team is really good. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, there's reason to potentially put them as Super Bowl favorites ahead of Kansas City. Like, right now, they're number two behind Kansas City. But, like, man, like I feel really confident about them, one, getting the postseason bye, like the first the first seed in the NFC. And then, two, I don't know if there's a team in the NFC that can beat them in the playoffs. Like, I, I like them a lot to go to the Super Bowl. Like, a lot, a lot. Yeah. So, I do think Kansas City would be the team that keeps them from winning it. Tom Brady, uh, they've, they've benefited a lot, obviously. Everyone, I don't know if you've seen this trend with Tampa Bay and comparing Tampa Bay and Los Angeles Chargers. So they draft an offensive tackle at 13. Okay. Yeah, I have yeah, seen that. Actually. Yeah, whatever. But, like, everyone believes out that, like, they didn't bring you – no, know, Chargers right. didn't bring in Tom Brady. <laughs> like, Tampa Bay <laughs> brought in Tom Brady, and that's the reason they won the Super Bowl last year. If Tom Brady shows any levels of decline – to the point where he's not like a top 10 quarterback according to PFF passing grade or whatever metric you like. He's not a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. This roster is really good, but I think that would be a reason they don't win the Super Bowl. They're the Super Bowl favorites, in my opinion, if you ensure Tom Brady plays all 17 games and plays at the level he played last year, top three quarterback in the NFL. Tom Brady is going to be 44 years old during the season. Like at some point, <laughs> it has to, right? At some Eventually. point, sooner or later, the guy has got to decline. I mean, there some... were points early in the season where we were like, is it now? Like, is he walking? But that's like, the scary thing is that he was saying, he said he was dealing with a knee injury all and season long. And he didn't long. know the playbook. And, yeah, and he was still, like, working at the playbook for half the year, which is why, like, the, the Bucks weren't really amazing until, like, week 12. Yeah. And then they started to cook down the stretch and into the playoffs. Their whole first half of the year was just about treading water and making mm -hmm. sure we're in position when we finally get this sorted out that we haven't left it too late and we're going to make the playoffs. So the scary thing about Brady is that there's no sign of physical decline. Now, the arm looks as good as ever. He's, you know, drinking the avocados or whatever he does. Like, he still looks good. Drinking um, the avocados. The only I, – I think if the wall hits him, it's going to hit him the same way it hit Brett Favre, right? Which is – Favre could roll out there tomorrow and still have, like, a top-10 NFL arm at 50-something years old, whatever he is. What happened to Favre is that 
when you get old, you, you'll discover this now that you, you start <laughs> approaching your 30s. It. Yeah. You, you reach an age where when you get hurt, it just, A, you get hurt easier, right? Stuff just starts to snap that didn't, mm. right? You can't wait. Take a random step and suddenly, oh, crap, something just broke in my knee or whatever. And then B, when you do get hurt, it takes longer to come back. Like you used to just break things and you'd heal in two weeks and you're back out there. So Favre always took a ton of hits just the way he played. And then eventually, like Iron Man, right, at 200 and whatever straight games starting, never missed a game, just kept patching himself back up and going out there again. He just reached a tipping point where those hits were breaking things and those things weren't healing by the time the next week rolled yeah. around, he was done. Because he was one. Of, I mean, he has that whole record, right? That right. Consecutive it was two. I think it's two hundred and ninety something, right? It's like he was an Iron Man. It's absurd. Like all that, copper tone. That too. to me is honestly like the uh, the record in the NFL that's the farthest away from being broken. Like that start streak, nobody's been within like a hundred games of it. Like yeah. it's, some, it's in something ridiculous like that. So, but Brady, the difference between Brady and Favre is that Brady doesn't take those hits. Never has, right? And the so, offensive line is good. Yeah. So he. Now, it only takes one, right? One hit in the wrong way can be a knee, and that's your season done. But Brady is best positioned to avoid the wall hitting him the way it hit Favre, and it's not hitting him in terms of arm strength and the way it hit Manning Good or whatever. Point. So really what you're relying on, if you think that Brady is going to decline or hit that wall, is one freak injury. Like it's one freak hit that breaks something that wouldn't have broken like otherwise if he was 25 instead of 44. And that's the thing that just crumbles the entire thing, which is always a possibility, but is like the smallest possible reason in yeah. terms of like exactly. just getting old, arm declining, like the Drew Brees thing. It's, it's not hitting Brady that way. So you're relying on one hit to just take him down. Which to confirm is an awesome scenario for the Bucs. Yes. If you're only if your biggest, your biggest for- concern is that one freak injury takes down that's Brady. A, you're in a very good position. Absolutely. All right, NFC West, last division, Arizona. Oh, man. I, uh, oh, Mike knows my concerns I have with Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> I do not like what they've done Hair. since he's taken over. I mean, I put Kyler Murray or Cliff Kingsbury. Since being drafted, Cliff, uh, Kyler Murray has been a bottom five passer, according, according to PFF, clean pocket passing grade. One of the more stable things. Since taking over Cliff Kingsbury, they've been a bottom 10 offense in EPA per play. Bottom 10 offense in EPA per pass. This offense, despite all of this, uh, the, hot, you know, the hype around Cliff Kingsbury, around DeAndre Hopkins, around Kyler Murray, and Isabella, Christian Kirk, like, it, it's not been good. It's not, it, the offense is good. I don't care about the defense. Defense could be bottom 10 ne- next year. If the offense isn't good next year, I mean, it's time to start considering some things. I mean, like whether you're considering Cliff Kingsbury on his way out or moving on from Kyler Murray, like it just has not been good enough. And I think a lot of it last year specifically for Murray was injuries. There are reasons with Murray to have like some excuses baked in. For Cliff, I don't think there are. Like the offensive line isn't bad. They had DeAndre Hopkins last year and exclusively played him at left receiver, one of the worst yeah. usage of a top receiver we've ever seen. Like Michael Thomas plays almost 40% of his reps in the slot as one of the best receivers in the NFL, as does Keenan Allen, as does Stephon. Like these guys get versatile usage because you're trying to find mismatches. Cliff consistently not doing that. They run more wide receiver screens than any team in the NFL. You know who their leading target was? Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. If you're running That's wide why receiver I'm really screens, high on Rondale in that I know, and I'm high on Rondale too. Like again, he just continues to get these guys that he likes: Andy Isabella, Rondale Moore. Let's see it, buddy. Yeah. Like I want to see it. Like I, we have to see him utilize these guys effectively to a point where it's a top 15 offense, there has even, been, a top 10 offense. There has been a total lack of creativity in that passing game. Now, some of that I think is a design thing in that, like the air raid 
functions because it's idiot proof, right? You can plug any old yeah, moron yeah. in there, a quarterback, and the whole thing is predetermined. No, you know where everybody's going to be at all times. You know what routes they're running at all times. All you need to do is like identify pre-snap where you're going, and it's free yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, the NFL that doesn't work as well. <laughs> the yeah. Defenses know what they're doing. Not a lot of free yards, right? In the NFL. That, it, perfectly put, right? There, you, there just aren't the free plays that there are in college. So when that's your system, like your system is picking up the free plays that the defense is giving you you're just not going to be good because the NFL defense doesn't give you a lot yeah. for free. You have to work harder than you're working to generate yardage. So I think that's what he needs to show is figure out where, where the meeting point is there, right? I maintain some of your area principles because some of them I'm sure are sound, but you need to figure out how to move towards getting more free plays because right now you're just not getting enough. And if they don't take that step forward, the team overall is not good enough for them to be good or even hang with the best teams in that division. And with those wide receiver screens, which are supposed to be like free yardage, where yeah. you're getting the ball to a playmaker, they average fewer than six yards per attempt. Because you're going like, to fit. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's terrible. I mean, again, it comes back to like, what are we doing here? You know, but now what, you're throwing Rondale. Now you're cooking. Now, yeah, hopefully Rondale, we start cooking. I, that's why I love that fit. Because you actually, like, Rondale needs to be a gimmick, at least yeah. right off the bat, while you figure out what he can do. The Cardinals have that role there. Now, okay, they were burning it with Larry Fitzgerald targets, but this, the role was there within the offense. Now, if you like, nobody can feed Rondale more targets naturally within the flow of the offense than the Cardinals can. So I like that. Um, L.A. Rams. I put just how good is Matt Stafford. Because Matt Stafford, I do think yeah. I, um, I love the defensive roster. I think offensively, there are, I, I like Robert Woods. I like Cooper Cup. I think the offensive line isn't great, but it's it's not as bad as it was a couple of years ago. Now it's like, okay, Matt Stafford, let's see it. You know, a guy that a lot of people like and has been good in bits. I remember before the 2020 season, a lot of people were picking the Lions to go to the playoffs. A lot of people were picking yeah. dark horse candidate Matt Stafford as MVP. All right, man, like there's not a lot of excuses in L.A. where they are, I think, one of the favorites to win this division. I think they are tied with the, I think, San Francisco 49ers in total win total in 2020, according to Las Vegas. So I think Matt Stafford's time to live up to the hype. It's time to stay healthy, and it's time to, it's time to burn it down with easily the best situation he's been in, especially if you include Sean McVay. Yeah, there were, uh, there's always been people saying, you know, Matthew Stafford's never had this offensive-minded head coach, never had a guy – you know, a mastermind to put him in a good position to succeed. Now he has. Like now, yes. McVay, boy genius over there with the fancy offense. If if Matt if Stafford doesn't look any different to the way he's looked throughout his career, you know, volatile, capable of amazing games, always shakes out to a grade in the '80s somewhere, not '90s. Like he just doesn't have it. Like he may have yeah. all the talent in the world, but if you can't put it together for a 17-game schedule, now what's the point? Like you're never going to take them to that level unless you work on the Joe Flacco principle, right? Which is if we just get to the playoffs, maybe he can catch fire for three or four straight games. He's at least capable of doing that 100%. in a way that some other quarterbacks probably aren't. Um, I'm also concerned that this defense takes a major step back. Like if we go from Brandon Staley, best defense in the NFL, best coverage unit in the NFL, basically completely stop teams throwing deep on them at all, cause Russell Wilson all kinds of fits, you lose 40% of that secondary. Troy Hill, John Johnson III, gone. You lose the defensive coordinator that, that arc, uh, orchestrated the whole thing. That could easily take like a big step backwards. And the Rams last year were being propped up by that defense to a huge degree. If that takes a step back and the offense doesn't take a big step forward with Stafford, you didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I also think that it, you know while scheme, you know Mike talks about a little bit on the two for one drafts podcast about like they're going to run the same scheme. You know, he's kept some of the guys in house there to run that scheme again, but like you can't 
understate how much like live play calling matters. You yeah. Know, being able to call the right plays. In and the right just situations. the guy whose system it is versus a guy whose system he's like adopting yeah. and is kind of on the same page, but not hundred percent. Like it's, it's different going from Staley to Raheem Morris is not going to be just a seamless transition. I'd be more confident in this defense regressing than maintaining. Yes. Sure. With absolutely. how much, with how much they lost this offseason. hundred percent. And if that, like, again, if, if you don't offset that by not just a step forward with the offense, which is what you needed to do last year, but now you need a big step because you need to overcome, you need to take the step forward on offense and offset whatever you're going to lose on the defensive side. So yeah, I think, I mean, their big concern is that did they just, have they done enough to take a step forward? Um, San Francisco. I put Trey Lance's ability to see the field. I think we know what Do you think he's going to start week one? I don't think so. You don't? I don't think When do you think he's going to start? I think he's going to start probably a few weeks in. I mean, it depends. I think, I think okay. they're, they are more than happy to see if Jimmy Garoppolo pans out of the gate. Like, to see if like, we can win some games out of the gate. I think they're going to start him early. Really? I just I – don't, I don't see a reason not to. Like, there's – I think people assume that because he's young – and an experience that he there's things that he does that are problematic for seeing the field early you know like he doesn't have a great grasp of reading defenses or he's constantly making mistakes because he doesn't see the field the right way and you know all these kinds of things I don't see that in this game I think his only real weakness right now is inaccuracy which might just be a simple lack of reps in terms of like how often is the dude throwing a ball but in terms of like the guy doesn't make mistakes, like doesn't misread defenses, doesn't He's get one confused. of the smarter players in the draft, right? Doesn't get confused. All the things that you need to see the field early, he has, um, and he has the rushing threat to like prop up any deficiencies that he does have. So I just, what are you gaining by sitting him? Like Not a lot. you've obviously identified to the tune of three first round picks that he's the guy that can lead your team. So if you if you think if you don't think that he has like a critical flaw in terms of duh, we can't play this guy because look what he's the guy can't read cover two right every time we, we see cover two the dude's thrown it to the Mike linebacker can't have that in the NFL yeah got to fix that before we put him on the field if he doesn't have that like what's the benefit I think a lot of it I think a lot of it's going to be see going to be how quickly can he you know kind of knock the rust off you know because obviously that Central yeah. Arkansas game was not good like when he in that like showcase game he did not look great <laughs> such a weird dynamic it was such a, it was weird it was weird so like they have three preseason games this year. Yeah. If he shows up and looks confident, right. I think he starts week yeah. one. He However, if he job. doesn't, if he doesn't, That's fair. I'm well aware that Kyle Shanahan is not going to just throw him to the dogs. Yeah. Like, I think they'd rather have Jimmy Garoppolo start and see, because something that doesn't get brought up enough with San Francisco is they're going to see some positive regression on injuries defensively. Like, there's just no way they get decimated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the receiving Everywhere. court, it was true together, right? There's just no way they get decimated to the same level again. So, like, if Jimmy Garoppolo can come in and they can stay healthy in more ways than they did last year, it's going to be a more competitive football team. There's a reason. And again, that they're tied with the Rams for the most wins in this uh, most wins in this division. Yeah, nobody was wrecked harder by injuries than they were Agreed. across the board last year. All right, final team, Seattle Seahawks. This one I think is obvious. I think we're gonna have the same one here. I haven't seen yours, but I put cornerbacks. This cornerback depth chart is absolutely horrendous. They you know, obviously lose Shaquille Griffin. He signs with Jacksonville. Their starting cornerbacks are Trey Flowers and Akella Witherspoon, and then you have. Behind them, Trey Brown is a fourth round rookie out of Oklahoma that I like, but still. Yeah. Then you have Pierre Desir. Like this. The starting quality is not there. The depth is not there. I don't think the pass rush is that good. They're starting Daryl Taylor and Kerry Hyder at left and right defensive end. Like, this is a bad defense at the worst spots. Like, they don't have a good pass rush, and they don't have good coverage. They're going to be giving up a lot of points. And their offensive line did not significantly improve. 
there are more reasons to be concerned with Seattle than there are not. And I think some people are still picking Seattle to win this division because maybe you, you could argue, and I think it's probably right, that they have the best quarterback. Yeah. But I think these flaws are so big, and we rarely see this in the NFL, that these flaws elsewhere are so big that I don't even think Russell Wilson could put on a big enough Superman cape to overcome these things. When you look at what this roster is, it's approaching the Texans last year, right? Yes. Which is, it didn't Very matter. Good it Very didn't good matter how good Deshaun Watson was. Just like there was a bunch of games last year where Deshaun Watson executed a game-winning drive, right? Scored points, took the lead, but there was too much time on the clock and his defense couldn't stop anybody, and the opposition drove down the field and executed their own game-winning drive, and it didn't matter what Deshaun Watson did. And then there was another one where he executes a game-winning drive, hits his receiver in the hands, who fumbles the ball, and they lose because of that. Like, Deshaun Watson put his team in position to win more games than they did last year, but the team around him let him down. Now, I don't think Seattle is quite as bad as Houston was last year, but you're right. I think it's reaching that tipping point where Wilson needs to play so unbelievably out of his mind for this team to be winning all those games. I just don't know that he's capable of doing that, particularly in a division that is going to be tougher. Like everybody in that division looks like it should be better than a year yeah. ago. The Rams or the Rams should be better. The 49ers should be a lot better. And Arizona should probably be better. That six games immediately are nightmares for you to deal with. It's yeah, it's gonna be tough. This, I mean, the Seattle Seahawks defense was like one of the worst in the NFL last year, and I don't see it getting much better. Yeah. Like it was a bottom three defense, I think, in EPA allowed per pass. And I don't, I mean, the cornerbacks got worse. Like losing Shaquille Griffin does not help this team. Their best pass rushers last year were Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner, safety and a linebacker. Dude, this is gonna be tough, man. The Seattle teams. I mean, who's the worst team in this division? <sighs> I is mean, still Arizona. Yeah, but if you. Take the quarterback out; it's easily Seattle. I know that's tough, and that's tough. And like, I mean, Russell and Wilson is not you know impenetrable. I mean, he could get injured well, and lose that, a couple games. But they they clearly don't want to just make it all Wilson, right? They yeah. want Wilson. Dude, this to be, team's going to hand the ball off to fucking what I mean. whoever their running backs. They are don't about. want. They keep burying Rashad Penny down the depth chart. What they add? I know they added somebody. <laughs> they, they they bring back Chris Carson. Rashad yeah. Penny is going to be a backup running back for the entirety of his rookie contract. They don't want to do what at least Houston was prepared to do last year and say our only hope is Deshaun Watson, so let's let him do it. Yeah. Like Seattle wants to protect Russell Wilson, and they need Russell Wilson to be the only thing propping this team up tough man this is a tough situation for seattle all right there we have it reasons yeah. for pessimism reasons fatal flaws for all 32 teams in the nfl it's been fun austin it's been fantastic crapping on everybody fun. it's just a giggle <laughs> um steve is out for another show i gotta I got figure out what we're doing later in the week uh haven't got that far yet frankly uh, i'll figure out what we're doing from then but austin gale two for one podcast you can get him and mike renner wherever you get your uh podcast you guys have been cooking recently cooking numbers through the roof um obviously pff has a ton of podcasts so go check them all out george and eric on the forecast chris collinsworth podcast featuring richard sherman uh unexpected points podcasts all over the place the fantasy podcast with Ian hartis go grab them all uh for myself and austin that'll do it take it easy